Well, we are live, pal. Mike. Yeah, we how are. You how you doing, my friend? I, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm feeling bloated. Uh, I ate too much dinner, um, so I, I, I'm happy to be relaxed on my couch now. Uh, I'm just going to be sitting here all gross with you today. All gross. You're all gross. I'm, I'm undoing my pants as we speak. Well, basically, this is just a normal day in the just, life and the normal podcast in the world accounted out. Pretty much. Just let my fat roll over my my my, my nastiness. Oh. <laughs> right, one day one day we'll have to pull the measuring tape out and see who's got a bigger range. <laughs> you know, for two guys who used to be known for being really thin, uh, it's funny we could probably like go up against each other with our beer guts these days. No kidding, man. Holy moly. I, I have an excuse. Bro. I call it my dad bod. Well, I'm going to be a father one day, so I've just got a dad bod in training. <laughs> there you, know? you go. There you go. So I know that I said that this was uh, just like another day at the office and a normal podcast, but it's really not, man. we got a lot going on today. We're going uh, to be joined by a guest at some yes, point. Yes, sir. We have, uh, we have Jay Ahola coming on, man. Uh, yes, absolutely. We, we, weren't, we weren't allowed to say that name until today. Which uh, that is correct, and and speaking of the man, he has just joined us on the line. Jay, how are you doing, my friend? Someone told me there was a party going on tonight in Greenville. Woo! <laughs> well, first how, and did foremost, you, how did you know? How did you know I named my crotch Greenville? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had the. I thought he could just see that I'm drinking some uh, fine Wayne Gretzky rye this evening. Yeah. yeah. Well, to answer the first. To answer the first question, I, I could see the Greenville on uh, Wiki Maps, so that helped. <laughs> All right. So, uh, for those of you that are not familiar with uh, the show Dark Side of the Ring, Jay is fresh off an appearance on that show, the third highest rated uh, viewing of that show in the, in its airing. So, congratulations on that. My and it, and if you're not familiar with the show, what what the fuck are you doing? The show is get it, like, you know halfway I mean? through its second season, and it's it's kicking some serious ass. I've never been a fan of Vice. I, I I have some problems with Vice as a company, but man, they are fucking killing it with this series. I've been greatly impressed, and thank you for for turning me onto this show, Mike. And I've I've got a few other people watching it now. And and Jay, were you familiar with the show before you uh, got got the call to be on it? Well, I uh, I it was really no different than any other audition that I get sent on. I got an email from my agent and uh, she asked me to be at a certain place. It was actually fairly easy. Um, it was an open casting call, which meant that there was no specific time. They just sort of said, can you come between one and five on a certain day? And um, so I locked in, I think it was one thirty in the afternoon, but obviously when I read what the subject matter was, I marked out pretty hard. I mean, so did you already um, know where Abrams was? Because your your casual fan doesn't know. I didn't know Herb Abrams until two or three years ago. You know, people um, don't know. So were you already familiar with his story? I I knew bits and pieces. I think like I I like to think of myself as a pretty well rounded wrestling fan in terms of knowledge and history. I knew his story sort of peripherally. Um, I knew that he had had sort of a fledgling promotion. And I knew that he sort of passed away in a circumspect way, but I didn't really know much more than that. Like, in fact, like I had no idea until when I started shooting that Mick Foley had been there and things of that nature. Right. So, 
Yeah. Well, for the record, Mike, if you ever piss me off, I am going to make you do a top seven UWF matches. So watch out, okay? I don't think that's possible. <laughs> I I did some research there. I don't think there are seven matches to to, to watch. Wait, wait, which is kind of incredible considering like Jay Jay brought up, you know, Cactus Jack and the other talent they had in there. Jimmy Snooker was in there. Uh, you know, one of my personal favorites, B. Brian Blair. If if you watched the uh, the the episode, is all over the place. You know, some of the greats. You know, Sid was was in the in the promotion. Some of the 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 you know forgotten greats were in this promotion. Yet nobody had any memorable matches. Well, I oh, think I the biggest. Sorry. No, go no. Go ahead, Jay. You're our uh, guest. I think the the biggest get they had was Andre. I mean, the fact that they signed Andre and he made an appearance there. To me, on top of names like Orndorff and and uh, and Snuka and and Sid and who came in later on, but the fact that they had Andre there to me legitimized that absolutely. Uh, at least at least from from the outset, right? Yeah, I actually wrote down some of the bigger names that they had here that I was going to uh, talk about a little bit later. But since we're talking about it, Bruno San Martino, Paul yeah. Orndorff, yeah. Doctor Death, Steve Williams, the Killer Bees, Cowboy Bob Orton, Captain Lou Albano. Uh, most of the guys, though, past their prime, absolutely. But still, to have that that type of a roster and, and to put on the type of shows that they put on, that there's not really much of an excuse for it, is there? No, I no. wouldn't think so. I, if you look at the quality of talent, you're definitely right. I mean, in some ways, you can almost look at it as a template for the WCW in a sense. I mean, they they, they picked up a lot of talent that wasn't necessarily – at the height of their career, but they had star identity and name, name identity, star power. So well, the fact and their that younger, they their younger in, roster, their younger roster was a little bit more talented than sunny beach and uh, the Viking. <laughs> <laughs> yes. that, that, I, don't, I don't know. Eddie Guerrero, sunny beach. I don't know. Dude, that, that yeah. main event anywhere in the country. That's it. I had to, I had to like rewind that Viking promo three times. Cause I was crying. Oh man, it's so. You know who that was? No, that's Ludwig Borga, right? Ludwig Borga. Holy shit! I didn't pick that up. I picked it up immediately because I'm Finnish, and uh, I can detect the Finnish accent immediately. Right. So when I I heard him cutting the the promo, I'm like, "Is that Ludwig?" Because I remember um, watching Ludwig's. I think it was his pay per view debut match against Marty Jannetty and at Summer SummerSlam '93. It was so funny because watching him play the the Finnish heel character, he was saying the most uh, obnoxious sort of chirps and saying the most obnoxious things to Marty Jannetty in Finnish that like it would make anybody in Finland blush the stuff he was saying like he was (laughs) it was the equivalent of the equivalent of like saying every one of the worst profanities you can say in English he was saying to him in Finnish, but it was just hilarious. Vince probably loved it. Oh yeah, Vince is sitting there going, "This is such good shit." Exactly. <laughs> I was leaving that one for you. I was hoping you were going to get there, Mike. So, uh, Jay, your character on the show was uh, Marty Yesberg. He was the Colonel, and I will say, from having seen you in person, that you are a much better looking man than the Colonel. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I was uh, hoping, I, I hope, I was hoping that would be brought up without me having to go into business for myself. <laughs> uh, Tyler told me who you played. After I watched the episode. So mm-hmm. I was watching the whole episode not knowing who you were going to be. 
when he told me, I started pissing myself because that means you were in my favorite scene in the whole fucking show. The scene where you're sitting there averting your eyes while Abrams is fucking strippers. Yeah. That that made me laugh so hard. And tough day at the office, eh? Oh my god. Can can you like like what what what's that like? Because the way we see it, it's it's supposed to be you know, we're not supposed to see your face because you're supposed to see you're supposed to be playing this guy that uh, we don't we're mm-hmm. supposed to believe it's him, right? So it's almost like shadows. Yeah. What's it like in reality if, to be doing these scenes? Is it like um, is it like normal acting? Absolutely. Yeah, one hundred ten percent. I mean, when you're on set, no matter what the subject matter is, you're a one hundred percent professional. You have to take into account as well that that especially the the female actors on set. Um, you know, they're, they're exposing themselves in a way that's extremely personal. They're doing it for the, for the art of acting, but at the same time, you, you have to be 100% professional all the way around. And, and more than anything else, it was just, it was, I felt very honored that they felt comfortable enough around me and the the rest of the crew and cast to, to reveal themselves in that way, because it's, it's a very, very personal, intimate thing to, to expose yourself in that way. There was no nudity. But um, it was all suggested. And uh, so I, I thought that it was extremely well done. And, and I will say the other thing that I, I really, really appreciated about, about being on that production was that we all know that there's a stigma about professional wrestling and that a lot of people don't take it seriously or they find it campy or whatever the case may be. But everybody from, from the line producer to the, you know, to, the, to the wardrobe, to the makeup, to everybody that was involved, was so respectful of each story and so respectful of everybody's contribution. And it was just, it was just a really, really wonderful environment to be involved in. Now, how does dark side work? Is it each, each episode have its own, uh, its own crew, its own director, or do they treat it like each one has the same crew coming back? Um, my understanding is is that they just bang the episodes out. So they go out and they get all the, the, the research footage and they, they do the interviews and things of that nature. And then from there, they they film the reenactment scenes sort of one after the other. And then they, they splice it all together and cut right. episodes out of it. So that's my understanding. So of how you had your, your part done several months ago then, I would suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, back uh, back uh, in uh, March. Right. Yeah. Um, I just want to maybe talk about the episode a little bit before before we talk about it. Jay, after watching it back, uh, what did you think about the episode? Were you happy how the final product came together? Were you? I, I'm sure, much like your, uh, Mike, Mike and myself, you're probably harsher on yourself. Uh, were you happy with everything at the end? Yeah, uh, I, I think uh, I think it's true of anybody in any form of performance art. I mean, being a being a podcaster is a form of performance art as well. Uh, I mean, for me per- personally. I've never been a big fan of watching myself back. Uh, if I do watch my back, I'm extremely myself back. Rather, I, I'm extremely uh, self-critical and think about how I could do things differently. Um, but in terms of an enjoyment factor, I really, really enjoyed the episode. Uh, it was a sad story. Uh, at a point, I almost got a little bit emotional thinking about, you know, how this person so tragically just succumb to, to these, to these demons, I guess, for the lack of a better term, that's the, that's the operative word in, in, in wrestling is demon. Right. So um, I was, I was very, very captivated by the story, whether or not I was in the episode or not. I mean, I've been watching the, the, the series since uh, 
since it began and I'm, I'm it's, it's uh destination television for me. So absolutely. So I, I did take a couple of live notes while I was watching along that I, I'd like to pass on because this is, like you said, this is a hell of a story. The first note I took down is um, cocaine is a hell of a drug. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. But, but with her, like everyone talks about how Paul Heyman had these guys drinking the Kool-Aid and ECW. These guys were just mm-hmm. downright delusional in, in this. You know what I mean? Some of these guys just thought Herb Abraham, Herb Abrams was the, was the next coming of Vince McMahon. You know, like it was, these guys were just far fetched out of reality as uh, some of the interviews, right? Including Herb Abrams. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I'll get I'll get to that in a minute here. Um, you know, we talked about the stacked roster already. This was really Mick Foley's first big break, though. You know, he had done a little bit of work in WCW at the time. Uh, as a a little bit more than not a, quite an enhancement guy, but not quite on a, a spotlighted thing either. So this was one of his first big breaks. And I thought it was really weird how Herb tried to book Bruiser Brody a year after he was murdered. <laughs> what the fuck was that? Did, did you miss that? Did you see that part? No, I saw that. I, I, I was stunned. Uh, I, I honestly think it was a PR stunt. I think that it was just his way of getting attention. I think he fully, full out knew that Brody was dead. But saying something wild like that would get people people paying attention. Uh, yeah, but that was fucking weird. Uh, they debuted on October the first, nineteen ninety, with their Power Hour show, um, and he had the, he had a chip on his shoulder with Vince McMahon as well because Vince blew him off. Herb wanted to kind of promote for him out on the what was it, the West Coast, I believe. Yeah. And and Vince blew him off, and and then all of a sudden Herb had this real you know fuck you Vince McMahon attitude. Which is ridiculous. He, why would you want to go against Vince like that? Um, uh, and then he thought he could beat Vince. And, and I just thought that the one scene where the guy was holding the championship belt and talking about this is my FU Vince McMahon belt, like, I just thought that uh, I, I didn't get it. I don't even think Vince McMahon probably even knew who these guys were. No. Um, booking Andre the Giant on paper is a, is a big idea. I get it. It turned out to be such a disaster. I think it made them look real bush league. You know, having Andre barely able to walk, and then Vince just snapped his finger. He's back a week later. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I would love to try a UWF oatmeal cookie or a Herbie cookie. <laughs> a Herbie cookie, yeah. But I, big... I bet I, I bet you they're pretty addictive. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I just to, in all sincerity though, like going back to what we were saying, like my comparison with WCW. Um, in seriousness, I think that um, there are parallels there because of the Andre and the Orndorfs and the, and uh, the Snookas and, and whomever else. Uh, they did you know, have talent that had gone um, a little bit past their prime but still had name recognition. In the same way, I think that this story in some ways certainly mirrors Paul Heyman and ECW. I mean, drinking the Kool-Aid, definitely. Um, you know, I was just watching on Netflix a show called Waco and talking all about David Koresh and his followers back in the early nineties and that standoff in Waco, Texas in the early nineties. And, and it mirrors like he had these disciples and these acolytes who, even though they weren't getting paid or they weren't really receiving any kind of compensation whatsoever, they, they would, they would fight to the death for this guy. It says something about, his ability to to charm people without a question. And I think that's something that they definitely drove home in the episode. And I think for the rest of the guys, like the Mr. Wonderful, it was just free money for them. This was a paid vacation for these guys, right? 
they, oh, yeah. they they just see a mark right is that that's basically the the gist of what what it sounded like mm-hmm. i think so also it's it was just it was an ability it was a way for them because he had to pay the top guys you get away with not paying some of the mid-card guys but when when you're having people like Orndorff and I know I keep on uh, hitting on him but Orndorff, Snuka, Andre I'm sure the all these guys must have had uh, advances like they weren't going to show up and be paid at the, that night I'm sure now I have a serious question for you guys and I want you to put some thought into this okay what do you think was high is a higher attendance the UWF beach brawl pay-per-view <laughs> or raw last week <laughs> well, I, uh, well, I'm is that including production staff and talent? My God. With Raw. I bet your Raw has a bigger crew working right now than was an attendant at, at, at Beach Pro. Now, I, I punished myself last week doing a bit of research for this, and I, I tried to watch some of the UWF Blackjack event that they had. I wanted to bring that too. And and we'll talk about because I I have all the numbers of their pay per views here, and we'll get to that in a minute. But man, it was terrible. Uh, Herb was definitely feeling good during that show, but it looked like it was Monday Night Raw now with no people in the crowd. It was crazy. I love when he says, "Man, I got the MGM." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was nobody there, and it was a shit show. Yeah, but I got the MGM. <laughs> Six hundred people. 600 people draw drawn to that event. Uh, 17,000 is the capacity for that. I, I, I think Ab- I think Abram's priorities were just a little a, a little skewed. Like like what he saw importance in, he didn't see importance in the numbers. He put on a show at the MGM Grand. That was beach, success in his eyes. Beach brawl pay per view drew 550 people in a 4,000 seat arena. And. <laughs> My favorite part about it was that the, the promotion was so centered around literally being a beach brawl. So you, I think if you're, if you're a paying customer ordering on pay-per-view, um, you're thinking that you're going to get some, something sort of analogous to what you saw at uh, uh, Beach, uh, Bash of the Beach 2000, or, um, ni- 1995, where they had the, the ring set up on the beach and all that kind of thing. Whereas... I think I think it was something like I, I don't know how many miles it was away from the beach in Palmetto. It must it wasn't even close. It was in Central Florida. Yeah, it was nowhere near any of the big cities at all, right? That's right. Uh, and then the last note I have is Mick Foley's crazy man. Did you see the bumps he's taken in these empty arenas? Yeah, unreal. Plus Mick Foley and, and reminded me of halftime heat when they were up in the up in the bleachers. No kidding. And Foley had, I think, the line of the show too at the very end when they asked what Herb would be doing if he was alive right now. <laughs> Time. Yeah. <laughs> Time. Yeah. I can't what? imagine Herb paying his taxes. <laughs> My favorite moment was a was an inside thing with me. I'm I'm watching it and when when B. Brian Blair says Herb Abrams died doing what he loved. I out loud said what cocaine and strippers, and then he says cocaine and stroke. Sorry, cocaine, and, <laughs> and then Blair says cocaine and hookers. Fuck, did I bust a gut, man? Like <laughs> that, that was Abram's life, man. I, I I don't think he cares at all that he that he went go he went out that way. B. Brian Blair hit on my girlfriend at Comic Con in Niagara Falls. He's. That's that's a whatever random random fact about B. Brian Blair. That just took me off guard. Is that a true story? That's a true story. 
It was my birthday at Niagara Falls Comic Con, and when she took me to meet everybody, Slaughter, Orndorff, um, Brian Knobs was there, Aloe Road Warrior Animal, and B. Brian Blair and, and Jumpin' Jim Brenzel were there, and we were talking to him, and it was great, and, and Blair was pretty flirty with uh, with the old missus. Wow, I guess uh, I guess Sheiky Baby was wrong about him. She was try- <laughs> He was trying to persuade her to buy one of the killer bee masks for, for a later time. And she didn't. Yeah, he was. He was just. He was just looking to get that. Uh, get that merch. That's it, right? Yeah. Um, totally make her wear that mask to bed, dude. <laughs> so I know. I know. Off. Uh, off air. Now it's I... going to turn into eight millimeter. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know. Off air, Mike had made a joke that uh, Jay, did you get your payoff in cocaine? And you said you had a funny story you wanted to tell about that. No, it was just uh, what, when we were filming that scene. We were just sort of figuring out how to shoot it, or rather, we weren't. I was on standby um, while the the camera crew and the director were trying to figure out how to um, assemble the shot and which angle they wanted to frame everything. And so I just went to the director and I said, "So is this shoot coke, or what's the what's the story here?" And they all just started howling, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't much of a story. It's just um, no, but I just wanted to say just to just to button it up with with the dark side that i i couldn't have had a better experience and so grateful that they 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 cast me um and it was really neat as well going through wardrobe because they had so many of the costumes from the previous episode so i saw the dino bravo cape and all that kind of thing oh, so yeah so it was a it was a really really neat thing and i had no idea about the character whatsoever i mean i i i, I tried to research who this guy was and i couldn't find a th- thing about him anywhere i googled him for days so when i finally got on set and i saw what he looks like and and got a sort of a breakdown of who this guy was it was really interesting because typically wrestling fandom is so meticulous that there's usually some kind of anecdote about everybody right so it was it was sort of bizarre to he was sort of like this um this lost personality yeah, out of everybody involved in that show, he was one of the only people I'd never heard of in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I did, I tried to do some research. I'm actually glad you brought that up because I did put on our Facebook page uh, at Counted Out 7 with Mike and Tyler or whatever our, our tag is. I don't remember right now. Um, I put out there to anyone to ask any questions that they wanted uh, Jay to ask. I got one reply. Thanks, guys. So, Adam, there's your answer to your question. All right, thanks for the reply. Let's go, group. Get Get involved here with us, eh? <laughs> thanks adam um okay well i guess uh that kind of puts a bow on dark side let's just talk a little bit about you jay let's talk about your fandom man um i know we're, we're gonna kind of we're just into the list in a second here but um when did you become a fan what's your story who's your favorites uh tell me a little bit about yourself as a wrestling fan well i uh, i started watching in 96 uh i was not one of the I wasn't one of these fans that grew up during the I guess a lot of people consider it the golden age in the eighties the rock and wrestling era, um, so I started watching right around the time that Shawn Michaels was chasing Brett for the title. Uh, I guess in How February when you started watching. Bud? I was twelve. Okay. Yeah, so I I was the same age that Shawn was when he had the boyhood dream. Um, it was. Uh, it was so fascinating to me. I had always been a big Batman and huge, huge Trekkie growing up. So um, Star Trek had sort of 
lost my interest just by saturation. I think they had done so many shows in so, such a short period of time that I started losing interest. And then one day I, I just flipped on the channel and, and saw Monday Night Raw on the new VR. And uh, I just hooked immediately. And then from there, I just I just became obsessed. And I've been obsessed ever since. Um, so my first ever event I went to was actually the last event ever held at the CNE, the exhibition stadium before it was torn down. It was uh, August 24th, 1996 uh, for the WWF experience with an X. And uh, the main event was Shawn Michaels versus Goldust in the ladder match. And there was Undertaker versus Mankind in a casket match and Vader versus Sid. And it was just an incredible, incredible experience. Show, yeah. That that event had a lot of hype around it too. They they had the whole day. There was a parade, I think. There there was a lot yeah. of hype around town about that show. Yeah, it was it was a big deal, and I didn't really get it at the time. Actually, a quick anecdote about that is that I I saved the ticket stub uh, for all these years, and my brother bought a cottage last year, and he's the one that took me. So as a housewarming gift, I gave him the the ticket stub framed as a piece of memorabilia for him to put into his cottage on display. So it was it was kind of like a full circle moment in that way that is cool so yeah i i know jay and i'll, I'll speak on a personal level with you here um you and i've known each other for many years like we said you and mm-hmm. i became friends in a very weird manner at a bar when i overheard you doing an impersonation um, yeah you do one of the best howard finkel impersonations that i've uh, ever heard in my entire life now i know yep. uh, at the time of recording it is a, uh, it's pretty late and i know you have neighbors uh jay was nice enough to actually um pre-record and, and send me a Howard Finkel ring in, ring introduction, uh, which I am going to splice in right now. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest scheduled for one fall is for the World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Championship. Introducing first, the challenger from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, weighing 234 pounds, Brett Hitman Hart. His opponent, from Glasgow, Scotland, weighing 230 pounds, the World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion, Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Ooh, that was so good. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but Jay, you do one of the best Howard Finkel impersonations. I sent it to Mike earlier. Mike, uh, your thoughts on Jay's Finkel? It's unreal, right? Oh, I fucking popped in my pants, man. I. Uh, That's not yeah. the desired reaction, by the way. I, <laughs> too bad. It's the one you got. Uh, no, I fucking, I fucking loved it. It, uh, you know, you close your eyes, you, you, you don't even know it's not Finkel. It's the. Yeah, very, no. very, very well done. That's right. Now, it is now time for the Royal Rumble. <laughs> I could listen to that all day. Jay, Jay yeah. just because I know it's late, I don't want to get too many of these, but can you give me a chimmel? Yep. Uh, following contest is scheduled for one fall, and it is for the World Heavyweight Championship. All right, all right. You got to give me a rated R superstar. Rated R Superstar! (laughs) Oh, man, that's great. That's great. So, Jay, you mentioned the the CNE show as your first show ever. I I ran into you at multiple events around the Toronto area. 
Tell me some of your favorite uh, favorite live moments that you've been to as a wrestling fan. Uh, well, I think uh, for me, the uh, the ones that stick out the most for me are the ones from my childhood. I think that's probably indicative of most wrestling fans. Uh, I am have such fond memories of all of the Sky Dome house shows I went to. I went to, I think, every single one of them except for maybe two. Um, so I saw some really, really cool ones. Actually, Mike, the one that you went to that you told me that you were talking about in 1998. May of 98, uh, yeah. May 23rd, 1998. That's yeah, the one. It, it was uh, Vince and Triple H. Um, or sorry, Vince uh, as the referee with Triple H versus uh, Austin. Uh, I, yeah, it was uh, Vince was the outside enforcer with uh, Dude Love as the timekeeper. Oh, right. have yeah, mercy. Yeah. 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 Uh okay. so those those events were great. I've been to uh three WrestleManias. So I've been to 18 and I was at 25 and I was at uh 32. So those were really really cool too and uh 32 was especially neat because I got a chance to actually have breakfast with Billy Gunn. My brother surprised me with a with a breakfast date with Billy Gunn so the the two of us or sorry rather the three of us sat and had breakfast for about 2 hours and got to pick his brain about all kinds of stuff and he Christ. couldn't have been a nicer guy and so yeah we had a i've had some really really cool moments in my fandom for sure i'd be happy for breakfast with bart gun that's <laughs> what i <laughs> just make sure butterbean's not picking up the tab fuck me just keep butter away from the table altogether yeah. i think <laughs> that's it eh? hey bart pass the butter yeah yeah uh, watch out for that left did did you, did you want a side of beans with your with your omelet or? <laughs> yeah, oh. maple maple glaze. Maple. <laughs> uh, Jay, you got anything else you want to talk about before we move on to the list? You want to plug your? You got anything you want to plug? You want to plug a Twitter, Facebook, any whatever, anything where people can get a hold of you? Yeah, I, I'm I'm not really on social. I do Twitter at uh, jayahola83. So anybody who wants to follow me on there, I have some pretty. Um, snarky comments from time to time i mean I, i'm a i'm a huge wrestling fan but i i do have some uh some comments from time to time that, that do get a reaction so if anybody wants to follow me and and listen to uh or rather read some of my my insights into the business you're more than welcome to do that as far as uh, anything coming up for acting wise there's not a whole lot just due to the covid situation there's not a whole lot coming mm-hmm. down the chute right now but um stay tuned awesome man um, before we move into your list, Jay, we are just going to have a quick word from our sponsor. Sure. Ladies and gentlemen, the following list, scheduled for seven picks, is brought to you by one sponsor. Introducing first, representing Freedom 55. He is the undefeated financial advisor, champion of the world, the man who can manage your money and prepare for your future, Patrick Contant. For a free consultation with no obligations, call 705-358-8793 or go to www.facebook.com backslash Patrick Content Advisor for more information. Patrick Content at Freedom 55, the man you can count on who won't count you out. Okay, man, that was perfect. Uh, and maybe you guys will recognize the impersonation of, uh, of our sponsorship <laughs> there. Um, Jay, tell me about the list. What are we doing today? 
Uh, we are doing the top seven new generation WWF events. So it would be from Royal Rumble 1994 up until In Your House, It's Time, December 1996. And uh, what, what made you want to pick this list, Jay? Well, I think it has a lot to do with just my it's the beginnings of my fandom, and I just have such fond memories of it. Uh, huge, huge fan of, of that particular era. Um, I think some of the things that stand out to me are, for example, a lot of the pay-per-views were in smaller markets. That was back in a time where they weren't being, selling out NBA or NHL size arenas. So if you look at some of the crowd reactions and how, how hot some of the crowds were, it made a huge difference in terms of the presentation of the product. I was just blown away by some of the matches you'd see that were maybe subpar, but they got such a huge reaction just based on the, the hunger of the crowd for the content. I thought it was really, really cool. Mike, what do you know? Is it fair to say that you love this era uh, mainly due to the fact that you're a huge TLR opera fan? I was actually going to say, I was just watching uh, in your house, international incident and Jake, the snake got replaced by Henry Godwin. And I was really hoping uh, at the time that T.L. Hopper would have made the uh, the save instead of uh, Henry Godwin. I, I checked on my on my Twitter account the other day, and Jay had sent me a match that was T.L. Hopper against Duke the Dumpster Drossy. I thought he was mad. Oh. I thought you were mad at me, buddy. <laughs> but you know, I also sent you his entrance theme. Let's yes, you did. It did not make my cut last week, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, it should have been number one. Um, but you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, the new generation is a very unique time in, in company history. You know, they got to move away from all the big boys now. Um, they strapped the rocket to Brett as the face of their company. But there was a lot of wild gimmicks during the new generation era as well. You had guys like Mantar, uh, Sparky Plug, uh, you know, T.L. Hopper, the goon, uh, a lot of weird gimmicks. Mike, what do you think about the new generation era and some of their wackiness? I, I was I was a fan of it, man. Uh, I mean, for fans of the of the old podcast, anyone who followed me on the on the lasting mark knows that our very first episode that we did on that show was all about the new generation, and we we wanted to kick off that show like that to to tell people this is what I liked in my wrestling. The stuff that you make fun of is the shit that I'm into because I like the off the wall weird shit. Was it was it gold? Was it all great stuff? Of course not. But holy fuck, can I go back and, and, and still really enjoy it? Yeah, the majority of it I can. Um, not 1994. Fuck 1994. <laughs> uh, but 1996 is one of my favorite years in WWF history. Yep, I 100% agree. And that's why I wanted to do this list. Um, I think that it's such an unsung hero in terms of the progression of the company. Uh, I think that... If you look at 97, it gets so much of the credit, but I, I actually think that 96 was a more pivotal, pivotal year. 100%. And you're right. 97 and 98 are very important years for the WWF, but everything that led up to that was laid down in 1996. Mm-hmm. All of it. Um, going right back to, to, to WrestleMania 12. Um, I, I, I've said this on the podcast a couple of times, but I give so much credit to Dustin Rhodes for the stuff that he was doing in 1996. He was doing the most out there controversial gimmicks two years before the Attitude Era. Um, he went out and did one of the most outlandish matches WWE had ever seen at WrestleMania 12 
20 years before cinematic matches became a thing. You know, he was really above and beyond in this era. And people forget that that was part of 1996, not one of the more progressive years. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think it's a transitional year without question. Well, and you know what, though? And towards the end of 1996, that's really where the seeds for the Attitude Era were planted. Now, I know everybody mm-hmm. says Stone Cold Steve Austin ushered, ushered in the Attitude Era. But to me, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels got that thing started. And I, and, and I think the Attitude Era, for me, really kicked off shortly after the WrestleMania 13 I Quit match. That's when Austin really got his momentum going. And it officially became a thing in 98, I know. But, but to me, the end of 96 is where Bret and Shawn really started to come into their own uh, and that hatred was real. And, and that was something you didn't yeah. see on the, on the television program a lot at the time. Yep, absolutely. You were seeing darker characters, more edgier characters, uh, stuff that we weren't used to. By the time 1998 came around, we were used to the edgy stuff. 1996, the night after WrestleMania 12, when you saw Mankind come out for the first time, do you remember your reaction to that? Yeah, I was scared. That was dark. That was scary. That was fucked up. I've never seen anybody like that in my life. I think it's you fair to say, if you look at 96 as a whole, it's the year, the first year where the line started to get blurred between reality and story. I think 100%. that you started to see more mature storylines. I mean, look at the Nation of Domination and Ahmed Johnson. Look at, look at how that got yes. formed. Sure, it was at the tail end of 96, but that was all the progression. Well, so. the crowd started to get a lot more vocal in 96 too. Uh, you know, the you sold out chance to Scott Hall uh, turning on Shawn Michaels at survivor series against Sid. The crowd was really die, die, Rocky, die, die Rocky, die. Exactly. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and if you take a look from, and let's kind of veer back a little bit into the, in the, this new generation era, was there a better wrestler on the planet earth in 1994? 95 and and I would say the end of 96 then Bret Hart I think you get a lot of argument from a lot of different people uh I think a lot of people would say Sean uh for me personally it was Bret now when I was a kid I will admit that I was more of a Sean Mark than a than a Bret Mark and that was probably due to the fact that when I started watching that was when Bret sort of just went on his hiatus Mm -hmm. so by the time he came back in October of 96, he, he made that appearance on Raw in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, the night after um, the Buried Alive pay-per-view. Uh, he had that promo. I was very excited to see him, and I was very captivated by, by his presence, but Sean had already sort of punched my ticket in terms of my fandom. Now, yeah. as I've gotten older and, and things have changed for me, and I look back on it, without question, it was Brett. For sure, it was Brett. 96 for sure was the year of Shawn Michaels. And, and I'm just kind of looking at the, uh, the PWI 500 list right now I have in front of me. Uh, 1994, Bret Hart number one. 1993, Bret Hart number one. For some reason, they were smoking crack and put Diesel at number one on 95. But 95 was kind of shit in general, so I get that. And then 96 was Shawn Michaels as well. But, but to me, Bret Hart was kind of the, the guy that was carrying the, carrying the company and was it, wasn't 95 the year Bret Hart was doing Lonesome Dove? Uh, he did Lonesome Dove in 96 also, I believe. But nine, 95, the WWF was running on diesel power, baby. 
All right. All right. What do you guys think? You want to move into the list? You want to give us your number seven? Yeah, because yeah, I've been biting my tongue. There's a lot of stuff I want. I've been wanting to talk about in this conversation, but I know, or at least I'm hoping, they're going to come up in this Absolutely. list. Absolutely. Let's get to it, Jay. Lay us on your number seven, buddy. Well, my number seven is in your house international incident. Okay. So tell me a little bit about it. Why is that? Why is this your number seven? Because I know uh, I was speaking to you shortly before we started recording, and you told me that you had just changed it recently. I just rewatched it, um, actually tonight. And as I was watching it, I realized that it sort of it bumped my number seven off the list, which originally was "Good Friends, Better Enemies" okay. in your house. Uh, just if you look at the sheer magnitude of the event, um, it was the uh, first big-time international WWF event, I guess, since SummerSlam 92. I mean, we had had the In Your House in Winnipeg in 95, October. But if you look at international incident, I mean, the attendance was 14,804. It was a huge sellout. You could see it even in the way that they shot the event. They were shooting it as a sellout. Um, the card itself, if you look at the main event, Camp Cornet, which was one of the most underrated uh, factions to me, and one, one that absolutely defined the era, uh, versus Sean, Ahmed, and Sid. If you look at that match, it was so great in the way that it set up all the programs for SummerSlam. And I will say as well that like, if you look at Vader at that time, Vader was 1996's version of Brock Lesnar. Vader was the beast incarnate he was the unstoppable force at that time so i i have to say i think international incident is way up there yeah you know and and speaking on vader you know they booked him real strong in this show he got the pinfall on Shawn michaels at the end that was sean's first pinfall that i can remember seeing in a long time sets up your SummerSlam main event absolutely for, for me, this card, I don't know. I, I kind of, the notes I took on it for me, and I haven't watched in a long time, so I'm going off memory. I have it as kind of a black card. The undercard is pretty un- underwhelming to me. A uh, couple couple good matches there. Steve Austin and Mark Merrill. Um, I think they had a pretty good one. Undertaker and Goldust by disqualification there. Uh, Mankind and Henry Godwin was probably pretty hard hitting, but to me, other than the main event, it, it just kind of was whatever for me. And the tag team division at this time was really was really hurting. Um, the Body Donnas and the Smoking Guns was the title match, I believe. I don't even know if that was the tag title. No, match it was actually. non-title. It was That's non-title. The Body Donnas went over, and but the Guns were the champion at the time, right? Yeah, no, no, no. It wasn't the gun. Yes, it was the Guns. That's right. They were the champ, and they they cut a promo right before they went out. Uh, saying that they had gotten rid of uh, Cloudy. I don't know if you guys remember Cloudy, their manager, for like a cup of coffee. Cloudy. I'm convinced if you shaved your beard that you would look like Cloudy. You're a bad human being. (laughs) Um, You know, the truth of it is, though, if you look at, if you look at like all of these events, the vast majority of them in this era, there aren't that many that have multiple big time matches. Most of them are one-match cards. So for me, the question I want to ask you, Jay, and this is the big one, because this is the match I, I'm kind of honed in on, is Steve Austin against Mark Merrill. This mm-hmm. is one month, and, I, and I'm not sure where your list is going to go, so I'm going to bring this up now. This is one month after the famous Austin 316 promo. 
How mm-hmm. how are they doing on the follow up to Austin on this pay per view? How do you feel he was positioned on this card? Well, I think based on the fact that he 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 cut him open the hard way with that boot when he was going for the uh, pin attempt. I think that the fact that he he cut him open hard way and then Austin persevered after going and getting stitched up. I think that it was a match that made sense. Yeah. Uh, you wanted to have him come back and get that definitive win and sort of get his just due after what had happened to him. Um, now, going forward after that, when he faced Yokozuna, you know, at the free-for-all in SummerSlam 96, in a, I think it was a 30-second match, you know, maybe not the best follow-up, but yeah, this minute, particular minute match 52. made sense to me. Yeah, they went a minute 52, and that's what I think a lot of people forget, and, and Mike, I'm sure you can comment on this too, is that, Austin didn't cut that promo and become a superstar. It took him, you know, another six, seven months before he really started getting the ball rolling and, and, and kind of, I would say, until maybe um, the Bret Hart feud at Survivor Series is when he really started getting the fire going, right? 100%. Yeah. yeah. I you think that any... the promos he was cutting as well, like leading up to it. I, I remember at uh, Mind Games in your house, he came out and cut a pretty visceral promo on Bret with Pillman and Owen in the ring. And he said, like, if you put the letter S in front of Hitman, you've got my exact opinion of Bret Hart. And you just took the sentence out of my mouth. That's one of my favorite Austin promos of all time. Yeah. My... I think he's the slimy, slimy substance coming out of the south end of a chicken. <laughs> Mike, what are your thoughts on International Incident? You got anything you want to put on there? Just two quick thoughts about that main event. Uh, one thing, uh, I don't know if people remember, that uh, the team of, uh, what was it, Sean Sid Nomed? Uh, yeah. uh, pe- people don't uh, I don't know if, if this was a backstage thing or not or I don't remember if they ever mentioned this on camera but they were known as the People's Posse oh, yes I remember that how, how fucking 96 is that well and that was, was supposed to be the ultimate warrior in that oh. spot as well right well Ahmed, Ahmed right. Johnson had that paint br- brush shirt that he came out to the ring with that said People's Posse oh, yeah. on it yeah that's right my uh, my other thought was, Tyler, how the fuck did you and I do an entire show about stables and not talk about Camp Cornette? I'm going to go ahead and take my bat on that as well, man. Camp Cornette was pretty awesome. They went... Uh... The, I can't believe... And being, a, being a, as huge of a fan of Owen Hart as I am, I can't believe I didn't fucking brought, bring them and up you know, during that show. He's doing some of the most underrated work of his career at this time, I think. This is right 100%. after the brother yeah. feud and... Owen, Owen and the Bulldog were great together. And Owen, Vader, and, and the Bulldog also teamed up at WrestleMania that year in a victory over Jake Ahmed and, uh, and um, who was it? Jake Ahmed and Yokozuna. That's right. Right? So uh, Ahmed Johnson, got to stop doing six-man tags against those guys. <laughs> well, it was hiding weaknesses, right? That's it. The people's posse couldn't cut it, man. Let's hope your number six cuts it, Jay. What do you got? Number six for me is WrestleMania 12. All right. Well, speaking of WrestleMania 12, how's that for a segue? Eh? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, well, the first thing I'll say about WrestleMania 12 is there's a Hall of Famer in every match, which uh, speaks pretty highly of it. Yeah, even the uh, pre-show. Oh, another, uh, another transitional you know, moment in the company. Uh, a lot of people sleep on the Brett-Sean match, and I understand why. Uh, it is long. It's technical. But for me, it's a masterpiece. I think it's one of the greatest exa- uh, examples of how pro wrestling is done masterfully. Um, 
the rest of the card as well. I mean, if you look at that Hollywood backlot brawl, like we, we alluded to earlier, it, it foreshadowed Love so it. much of what happened in the attitude era. And even today, if you look at what happened at this year's WrestleMania, I mean, there's elements of that in there as well. Um, Absolutely. If you look at Taker and Diesel, I mean, Good people really on sleep on Diesel. I, I think that Diesel was a lot better of a worker than people give him credit for. I'm not saying he was, he was Luthez, but you know, he, he could work when he, when, when it, when he was called upon. So if he, if he was in there with the right guy, a motivated diesel could definitely pull his weight for sure. The Absolutely. One, the one thing I want to say about uh, the Iron Man match, and I want to ask you guys both this question. I, I'm with you, Jay. I think that match is a masterpiece. I think it's one of the, the finer professional wrestling matches of all time. I think the Iron Man match gimmick hurt it. And, I'll, and the reason why I say that is they only ended up doing one fall in the full match, right? Do you, do you guys yep. think? Do you guys think that that match would have been better if they just let them go for an hour without the Iron Man gimmick? Do you think that it would have? One hundred percent. Booking in hindsight, I take away the Iron Man gimmick. I let them go sixty minutes and do away with the whole sudden death bullshit angle. I think you could even keep the sudden uh, death, just not have the Iron Man. You know, if, you, if Finkel does a 60-minute time limit... You mean you give them a 60-minute time limit and have them fight to yeah, a draw? Yeah, then have it restarted. Okay. Because I think the finish was really exciting with, with Brett having him in the sharpshooter. I thought that was uh, I thought that was awesome. And and if you if you did that right with Finkel, you know, three minutes left, two... If you do a proper countdown... And, like a Gary Michael Capetto thing. Exactly, right? If, yeah. you, if you do that type of a countdown and you still... You can have the exact same match with the overtime finish, it still protects Brett. Um, I, I just think uh, I think the Iron match took away from it just based on the way that they structured the match. Yeah, I I, I can't argue with that. I mean, I, I, I do agree with you that in hindsight, taking away that particular um, stipulation would, would make sense, I guess, booking in hindsight, like you said, Mike. I do think... Uh, I. I love the fact that there wasn't a finish only because one of my biggest gripes in today's product is that it, there are so many false finishes uh, in today's product. It drives me. It's my number one biggest gripe with the business. I mean, watching I'm somebody get so hit with 25 good. super kicks and kicking out of them. I, I can't, I, it completely takes me out of my suspension of disbelief. So yeah. the fact that these guys were going back and forth, I mean, yeah, you could have maybe had a fall here or there, but, I think that it, the realism of it was greatly enhanced by the fact that there were, were less is more to me anyway. No, I, I get it. Um, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be that guy. Uh, it's just, I'm never going to shit on this match, but I wouldn't put it on either man's top five list. Yeah. I, I can't argue that point either. I think they both have had a lot better matches than that, but I do think that this is still a, a classic and a masterpiece. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think you can look at both guys' careers, and you could. There's definitely an argument that there are five better matches than than this one. Um, but just for for the sake of what they actually presented to us that night, it has to be talked about with reverence. I think. I, I agree a hundred percent. You got you get the, the the dramatic call by Vince. The boyhood dream has come true. The big entrance from Sean. Uh, but this, you know what? There's a lot of underrated good stuff on this pay per view. Uh, Steve Austin and Savio Vega really tear it up on the undercard. I fucking love yeah, that. Yeah, very underrated. And that's Austin's first Mania match as well. 
Yeah. I love that feud. I'm I'm gonna go out and say that. That Austin Vega feud where where uh you know it was uh it ended up being culminated with the uh uh elimination of, of Ted DiBiase. Caribbean strap uh, match. you know, the, the Caribbean strap match, the matches where uh Savio would come out as a masked character called the Caribbean Kid, and, and, and get and get a fluke victory on Austin. And Austin would flip out, and you know the mask comes off, and it was Savio the whole time. Like that, I loved that fucking angle. I loved the whole program, and uh, and their WrestleMania match uh, was no different than anything else in that program. I loved everything if you about. Take a look it. at this time period. Savio Vega was one of the workhorses of this time period, and we're, I I have a feeling we're going to talk about him a lot in this podcast. Uh, but he, he's the yeah. unsung hero of the new generation era. Absolutely. Without question. I, I'm never going to argue with that. Not at all. That's why a few weeks ago when you talked shit about Los Pericos, I was a little, Listen, little put Los off. Los Pericos was shit, and I stand by it. All right? <laughs> they were terrible. That's not a knock on Savio Vega. But Miguel Perez and his Georgia <laughs> Animal Steel wannabe, get out of here. All right? I don't know. I, I like the idea of... A, a a faction of guys dressed up like the good humor ice cream men. I think it's a great <laughs> great concept. <laughs> oh, couple shit. other a couple other awesome little points on this pay per view too is um you got the the tag team tournament final on the free for all where Sunny earned her best bun Slammy award by helping the Body Donnas win the titles, and you got you got That's a right. big return from the Ultimate Warrior here who absolutely squashed Triple H in a minute thirty six. What do you guys think about that? Looking back at where Triple H is now, you don't hear that match mentioned a lot. Very weirdly. Now, you know, it's no secret. I'm not a Warrior fan at all. Okay, so it's hard for me to uh, to not think from a biased uh, view. I was never, even even as a kid, I was never a fan of that match. I don't, to this day, I don't, I think it's one of the worst matches in WrestleMania history. But you go back now and you and you uh, see interviews with Triple H, and Triple H talks about how important that match is, is to his career, and I kind of see it in a different light. I still don't like it, but I see its its value in now, Jay, history. Before I get your take on this, I'm going to put you on the spot because you're going to be the tiebreaker because I'm the opposite of you, Mike. I thought this match was amazing. I thought this was such a smart way to bring the Ultimate Warrior back, who is a humongous name. You made him look like a monster. Obviously, they're bringing him back. They're paying him money. They want to strap a rocket to him. Looking at how it turned out, obviously, this was the highlight of the Warriors' return. But I think this is the way you got to go. You got to make the Warrior look strong. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I think that if you look in the context of where, where Hunter was in terms of his placement on the ra- uh, on the roster at that time, Dolph Ziggler. I think he was, he was absolutely the appropriate person to do this job. I don't think that he should have gotten any offense. I think the best part of the match was when Warrior No sold the pedigree. As do I. I mean, it made 110% sense for him to come in and just squash somebody. And I don't think that it would have made much sense to have him come in. And, like, for example, imagine if roles were reversed and you had had Steve Austin come in and he would have squashed Steve Austin. I mean, I think the absolute right person was picked for this job without question. Hunter was the Dolph Ziggler of that era. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's a good comparison. I think for sure. I, I, I mean, history will, will, will show you that it didn't hurt. Triple no, H, absolutely not. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, 
you you could say that he was buried. You could say that he, you know he was made to look stupid because of the uh, the kick open the pedigree, all this stuff. I didn't enjoy it, but I'm never going to jump on that bandwagon because the last 25 years have showed us Triple H kind of bounced back from that match a little bit. So before the other thing too is the other thing too is if you look at look at WrestleMania 12, as soon as that match was over, he started into a program with Mark Mero, who was coming in the next night. Yeah. So he was rehabbed yeah. immediately within minutes of that match. He was rehabbed. He went right into a program fighting over Sable and her affections. So to me, it was like it was by the end of the night. If you're thinking about Triple H, I don't think you're necessarily thinking so much about the loss as much as you were thinking about him going into a feud and having this program with Merrill. And he was Intercontinental Champion by the end of the year, was he not? Yeah, yep. Tim and Mr. He Perfect was. had that great little angle there, the swerve angle and on Merrill. And he was on track to be King of the Ring if it wasn't for the the, the curtain call so yeah. obviously i think maybe that was the payoff it was okay you're 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 gonna get squashed at mania but we're gonna give you all this yeah we'll take and then you right. can fuck my dog before before we move on to your number five jay mike i know it's one of your favorite matches of all time uh tell me a little bit about the hollywood backlot bro oh it's just it's so special uh <laughs> It was just something we'd never seen. But first of all, anybody who hasn't listened to the show yet, uh, the first thing you got to know is uh, Roddy Piper is the greatest professional wrestler who ever laced up boots. Uh, so he could have fought anybody at that show and I would have been happy. Um, going into that show, I thought he was going to be fighting, uh, fighting Vader. I remember thinking around that time that we were going to see Roddy and Vader. I'm glad we didn't get that because what we got instead was something so fucking special. Um, the only thing I wouldn't have done was the whole splicing in the OJ footage thing. That was fucking stupid. But having the match go through the show, like it started at one point and then they had a couple other matches. They still talked about the match and then they brought the boys back and, and finished it off. It was fucking genius. Yeah, yeah and, I think that's what we're going to see on Sunday with the Money in the Bank thing. I think we're going to. Oh, see I'm so excited! I'm so excited about this. Uh, they, they've actually made me excited about this pay per view. Uh, and you know, I don't know if I go that far, but I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm weird on the product right now, and that's a conversation maybe for another time. They actually tried to recreate uh, a very similar thing like this with uh, Dean Ambrose and Luke Harper a couple years ago at a, one of the TLC pay per views. I don't know if you remember that day. They did the. They both fought backstage and got into a car and drove away and came back and finished a match later in the show. Not nearly as successful. I don't yeah, don't worry. You're not missing much. It wasn't very good. Yeah, I don't recall that either. To tell you the truth, you're not missing much. It was. Uh, it wasn't very good. Yeah, it definitely. The best. Moment, the best moment in that match is when Goldust legit hit Roddy Piper with the fucking car. I thought you were gonna say when Goldust was in his lingerie at the end. Well, I mean. That's personal. <laughs> uh, Jay, give us your number. Well, between, between that and the B. Brian Blair mask, I mean, I don't know what's going on over there. But, uh, <laughs> Welcome to Count It Out, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, speaking of Count It Out, Count It Out, you're number five, buddy. Let's see what you got. I am at WrestleMania 10. WrestleMania 10. I am going to tell you, I'm very surprised that this match is not uh, lower on your list. Higher, but... Yeah, yeah no, um... I, spoiler alert! If it was, if this is my list, it's number one. It's my number two. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, um, anytime you put Brett and Owen in a ring together, you, you you got my favorite fucking pay per view of the year. Anytime you put Earthquake and Adam Bomb in there for thirty two seconds, you got me. 
Yeah, I'll absolutely just just to hear Earthquake's music in the garden. I'm happy. That's it, right? Uh, Howard yeah. Finkel in a toupee. Yeah, with Cy <laughs> Sperling. That's it. Yeah. How's That's it right. look? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell um, me about WrestleMania 10, Jay. What do you what What's making it your number five? Uh, I think that it was historically very important. I think if you look at the card, I mean, obviously the ladder match has been talked about in grandstanding for what, I guess 25 years now. And so is Brett and Owen. I mean, both matches in their own way are masterpieces. Uh, The crowning of Brett as the new generation champion at the end was huge. Let's be real. This Um, is the kickoff. This is where the new generation really got gold, right? Absolutely. I have it written down here. It's the launching pad for the future next wrestling boom. And it Uh, it sets the table and plants the seeds. If you guys follow us on Instagram, I actually did post a picture at the end of that match with um, uh, to promote this episode of, of Bret Hart on the shot on the shoulders of everybody. Yeah, and so I mean, I think I think the event itself was extremely important, but going back and watching it, I think that um, there are other events that have more higher importance to me in terms of the progression of the product, the prog- progression of the company, uh, more so than this particular event i think it was a huge blasting point for the company but i don't think that it necessarily set pieces into place quite as much as some of the other events on my list mike what do you got for wrestlemania 10 we hit on a lot of the uh we hit on a lot of it for me um i'm sorry i uh having some technical difficulties uh yeah i'm good now uh, we, we hit on a lot of the, the higher notes for me. Um, I'm biased again. Um, may, maybe I'm judging my list uh, too high on one match. I just think the way you guys talked about uh, Brett and Sean being the perfect match, that's how I look at Brett and Owen. Yeah. Um, not only the match, the story. It is one of my favorite stories ever told in the WWF. It is uh, Owen Hart is my second favorite wrestler ever to fucking uh, step step in a ring. So that and that and that's the story that made him one of my favorite wrestlers. So that match is very special to me because I remember watching that uh, as a young kid. Um, it's one of the first WrestleManias that I, I watched with friends, not just sitting around with my old man. Um, so I remember watching that with, with some friends, and I was the only one rooting for Owen uh you know and I remember at the end of the show when Owen came back out uh, as Brett's uh, uh celebrating I remember it being one of the most memorable moments in Wrestlemania history for me going on uh I can still close my eyes and and, and I'm back to being a you know uh, an 11 year old kid watching that again and that was so powerful because Brett is celebrating and and he's inviting Owen to come in the ring and Owen's just looking at him you stole my thunder again. And he, you can see a mouth in the words. Mm-hmm. What about me? What about me? Yeah. For me, WrestleMania 10, I'm going to kind of be a little bit harsher on it, even though it is my number two on the list. This is a two-match show as far as I'm concerned. But those two matches are two of the greatest matches in the history of this company. Um, Brett and Owen is probably the greatest opening match in wrestling history, in my opinion. Um, 
there's been a couple that are really good. You know, I, Ray, Ray and Kurt Angle from SummerSlam was really good. Even Dolphin, Seth Rollins from SummerSlam was really good. But, but to me, this is one of my favorite matches of all time. The latter match broke barriers in the company. And, and to this day, the amount of people that have been inspired by both of those matches, I think, warrants it enough. There are a couple cool points about this pay-per-view as well, though. This was the Macho Man's last WrestleMania. Um, and and like that, this was the very first WrestleMania without Hulk Hogan. First right? WrestleMania without Hulk Hogan. Uh, Which is a big thing, if you think about it, during that it's era. The perfect kickoff, it, it, right, to the new generation. You know, they, they've, they've done nine WrestleManias on the back of that man. Yeah. And then, you know, they, they, well, all of a sudden they have a really fucking bad one. <laughs> you know, and they say, okay, we need, we need to do something. You different. know what I like about this too is how it was like the throwback, the 10th WrestleMania back at Madison Square Garden. It had a special feel yeah. for it. And something I thought they did was really yep. cool, uh, as forgotten is, uh, Alunder Blaze fought Lelani Kai for the, for the women's championship, and Lelani Kai was the women's mm-hmm. champion during the first WrestleMania, which I thought was a nice little throwback touch. That's right. Yeah. Um, um I, another another cool little uh, thing for me for ten. I really like the entrance. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite entrances of the old school WrestleMania. Absolutely. Jay, you got anything else you want to talk about WrestleMania ten? Uh, not really. I mean, just exactly what you guys were just hitting on it was the first mania without hogan uh so it was a big time test i think for whomever they decided to anoint the the next champion um and you know that sort of goes into this entire generation this entire time period is to say somebody for example like brett or sean they didn't draw i mean if you look at how everything progressed after this point i think they absolutely drew i mean the diesel year maybe didn't quite as much but if you didn't have somebody as talented as Brett holding the mantle for that period of time, I think the company would have been in much worse financial position than they were coming out of it. So I think that he was absolutely the right guy to, to get the torch at the time. And, and I think that they did the best they could without having Hogan there. And Hogan wasn't drawing at that time anyways in the, in the Federation. So. All right, buddy. I think that, I think that Mike, you got something you want to add there for us, main 10. No, no, we're good. Let's go All on. Right, let's move on, Jake. Give me your next one. I'm at In Your House Mind Games. That is one of my favorites In Your House pay-per-views. Uh, I, can, I can think off the top of my head uh, certain of the matches, but what made it so special for you? Well, I think obviously the main event, Sean and uh, Mankind. Uh, I think that, obviously. you know, Sean and Mankind, that match, in a lot of the same ways that Sean and Diesel did earlier in April, uh, sort of showed a different side of Sean's ability to adapt to his to his opponent. Uh, he showed up. That's what I was going to say. Do, do, do you think we got to see, as fans in 96, we saw a side of Sean that we hadn't seen yet, and it kind of showed where WWE could go if they, if they chose to? Yeah, I think so, for sure. I, I think that the way that the match ended, and I think that that's the one criticism of the match for a lot of people is that it ended in a big schmoz, uh, you know, a disqualification and all that kind of thing. But you kind of had to do that protecting yeah. mankind's character, especially with where of he course. was going. He was still embroiled in that undertaker feud. He, the next month he was going to wrestle him in the first ever buried alive match. And then you had Sean, of course, who was yeah. the champion. So it made sense for the match to end the way it did. 
But in terms of the actual, you know, meat and potatoes of the match, it was so incredibly well done and showing innovative things. Like I think this might've been only the second time I recall seeing a table spot. The first one being at survivor series 95, I get with Brett and diesel. I don't recall, and I could be wrong, but I, I don't recall another table spot off the top of my head. I uh, I got Survivor Series '95 also as my first memory. Uh, actually, you know what? And for me, this is real old school, and it wasn't really out there. Harley Race went through a table fight in Hogan at Saturday Night's main event, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Question for you guys then: Shawn Michaels against Mankind was this the best match of the year in the WWF? Probably. I put, uh, I, I put it close. I think if they would have, and I know you guys just talked about the finish there. If they would have had a clean finish, I think this is the match of the year. But I'm big on the clean finish. Uh, it's my second favorite match of the year. If we're talking just pure, like, like in-ring wrestling match, sure, maybe. Uh, as far as my favorite entertaining match of 1996... No, I have another one, and and I'm gonna, but I'm gonna hold it because I have a feeling this pay per view might come up yeah, on my, uh, on Jay's my, list. Um, my um, number one, I would have to say, as much as I love, I, I agree with you, Tyler, that as much as I love this match, and just for the fact that there wasn't a clean finish, it's not my number one in '96. Uh, it might be tied for second for me. Uh, a cool spot I really liked in this match, uh, other than the table spot. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but there was a point close to the beginning of the match where, where Mankind tweaked his knee, and he, he took like a, a knife and started stabbing his knee. Do you guys remember that? I just thought it it made him look yeah. crazy, you know what I mean? I do, yeah. And, and something else that's really fun about this, uh, this pay-per-view happened in Philadelphia. Uh, this was in the height of ECW. Oh, ECW yeah. Run they were in- this was the, the first time ECW okay. was on WWF television. During the free for all, they were they they, oh, they actually right, were, it wasn't the free for all. Oh, yeah. It was uh, and again our man Savio Vega pulling double duty on this uh, pay per view. He fought Marty on the free for all, but uh, Justin Hawk Brad Justin Hawk Bradshaw did a run in and they had a Caribbean strap match and that's where ECW uh, did their run in on the first match of the pay per view. I think Sandman that's, spit beer on him, right? That's right. So this crowd was very pro Foley, and and this is a kind of towards the end of. Uh, Shawn Michaels being that beloved uh, white meat baby face. And, and the crowd started to turn on Shawn around this point. Yeah, that's very true. Now, I want to uh, talk about a quick sleeper before we go on to the next uh, pay-per-view. Um, I, I seem to have fond memories. I'm going to have to go back and watch it. I haven't watched it in years and years. But I seem to remember really enjoying the Undertaker Final Gold Dust match, match. On, on, on this pay-per-view. Did they not have their? Was this not the the pay per view yeah, with yeah, their final, uh, curtain, final match. curtain match? Yeah. Uh, Jay, I'm sure you. Yeah. I haven't seen this in a while either. I'm with you, Mike. I remember this being a good match as well. And Undertaker and Goldust had a very underrated little feud uh, this year as well because they fought on the In Your House Beware of Dog pay per view as well. They had a great little feud. Their their chaos yeah, game match is great as well. International incident. Um, That's correct in in Vancouver. So this was like the this was the blow off. It was the of the trilogy, I guess. One, what was cool. and also on this card you had the Smoking Guns versus Bulldog and Owen. And this yeah, is when Bulldog and Owen kind of first formed a tag team, and they're my favorite tag team of all time. So uh, to see them win the titles here was incredible, and the two of them together this. This sort of melded them together, I guess, until well, they were really together as a tag team until Montreal. Yeah, so, pretty much. 
And what's cool about this too is the match right before that is uh, Jose Lothario beat Jim Cornette. And, yes. and Clarence Mason, Jim Cornette's lawyer, got Cornette to sign a piece of paper while he was half unconscious. And it was actually the contract for the Bulldog and Owen. So Clarence Mason took them over during this match. Uh, yeah, that was yeah, awesome. I forgot about another that. point on this. Oh, the the time the time I didn't yeah. know enough to hate Jim yeah, Cornette. Cornette's really, we've talked about that on a fair amount on our podcast. What Cornette used to be compared. Another another reason why I love your episode of Dark Side more than any other episode. <laughs> no Jim Cornette. <laughs> well, he's definitely not subtle. Uh, something else that kind of stood on the radar <laughs> on this pay per view too is you got the in ring debut of Mark Henry. Yeah, versus Jerry Lawler. Yeah, uh, and That's it's right. it's funny to see the evolution of Mark Henry. That it did, and it, it, it's, it's crazy. Like, uh, especially right now, how respected and and I've met Mark Henry, uh, how respected he is, and how great of a person he is. Uh, but when he started, this sucked. Made in America, Mark Henry sucked, and then he evolved on to nation mark henry and then sexual chocolate like mark henry man this is a guy that i thought was going to get released in, in a year and and he made a whole career he's, in my opinion he's a hall of famer i've never oh that's right well, I've never him. i'm sorry they just inducted mark henry <laughs> yeah i've never heard him referred to as all american mark henry i like that well he was he was decked out in the american flag no, he was. Absolutely he was, but I just I've never heard that moniker before. I like it. Poor Jerry Lawler. All right, all right. Here here's a, here's a little armchair booking for you boys. Did did we get a missed opportunity with Alex Luger Mark Henry? Was feud? Luger still uh, in the company at this time? I think he was gone. No. Yeah, no, he was he was gone for no, a I year by now. Gone. Actually almost exactly a year because he showed up on Nitro the a year before in September. Now, That's right. That's no, right. I don't think that. I don't think that at that time the world did not miss out on a on a rookie Mark Henry versus Lex Luger. <laughs> you know, you know who I bet you wish missed out on a rookie Mark Henry was Jerry Lawler because Mark Henry beat the shit. <laughs> he potatoed him all over the <laughs> he ring did. for five minutes. <laughs> I I don't think they told him it was. A I don't know if you ever have you ever heard Jerry Lawler talk about this match. No, Jerry Lawler no. was like no. Mark Henry so strong he just picked me up and threw me and almost killed me. <laughs> Mark Henry, poor guy. He took a hard time when he came in the company. Uh, but but man, like I said, the evolution of Mark Henry. You want to talk about? We talk about guys like Chris Jericho, Matt Hardy, The Undertaker that are constantly reinventing themselves. Take a look at where Mark Henry ended up, man. Yeah. Well, look at that promo he had with John Cena. I mean, maybe one of the best promos in the history of Raw. Absolutely. So, so I'm so okay. happy you said that. Uh, it, it, it is one of my do not shit on that salmon color. Yeah, I have jacket. one regret about that jacket, and it's that I didn't own one when I met him to get a picture taken wearing that a jacket similar to that. <laughs> it would have been even better if it had been the same size. You would have looked like like Stephanie McMahon and like Andre the Giant's blazer. <laughs> uh, what, what? All right, Jay, what's your next uh, show? We're sir? looking at SummerSlam 1996. All right. Yes, you are. Uh, not enough, I can say, about this card. Uh, first of all, just a shout-out to the uh, the kid in the crowd with the bowl cut. I think on... Um, <laughs> I know exactly I, who you're talking about. I think his name is, like, Eagle or something on Twitter. I follow him on Twitter. But he's at, like, every single event in 1996. And I see him constantly screaming and yelling at the, at the camera. 
just love that kid. Yeah, it was him, him and him and Vlad the yes. super fan. You, you, you always that fucking guy, saw the guy, those the, two. the guy that looked like Diesel with the sunglasses. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. The guy with the long hair. Jay, you said you follow yeah. that guy on Twitter? <laughs> yeah, I'll shoot you over the uh, the uh, the handle I want when you, I find I want it. you to do me a favor. When we post this, I want you to to send him a link to it and tell him that we got mad respect for him and, and to, to, to send him the link for this show. Absolutely. I think he has a little following, actually, because everybody remembers him. He was. So... I'd I'd like the I'd like the name of this barber. I think he still actually. has the same haircut. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> the, um, I might be wrong. The, but uh, just a, a sidebar <laughs> on, on those super fans. Um, do you guys remember the fan from SummerSlam '92? The British Bulldog's gonna win whether he wants to or not. I just oh. saw that clip. I just <laughs> yeah, saw it. So there, so there was fun. um, the, you know how like the yeah. all the wrestling action figures uh-huh. and people make their own custom figures. There, there's a site on Twitter, and I don't, I couldn't tell you which site it is off the top of my head, but they made a custom figure of that guy and put it up for eBay on bidding, and people were. Was that was yeah. that real? I saw no, that, but I thought that was There was a huge bidding war for it. So, <laughs> yeah, I definitely saw that. No, but I thought it was that a was a real shop. thing. So wrestling fans are the best, hilarious. man. Uh, anyways, let's get back to SummerSlam '96 here. So we're talking about SummerSlam. Uh, so what are we talking about here? Shawn Michaels and yeah, Vader. and we're also looking at the uh, the boiler room. Uh, such an underrated yeah, it match. Was. I mean, there were some screwed up spots for sure, but I mean, culmination of... This is like a perfect example to me of how to tell a story. I mean, they started planting the seeds at King of the Ring, and then, you know, they go all the way through the summer. It was sort of like the highway to hell in that way. Um, they don't take time to tell stories anymore in the current product, especially in WWE. In AEW, they do more because they do less pay-per-views. But if you look at, like, for example, the WWE, I think the only time they do elongated stories are when they're on the road to WrestleMania. And so often, I mean, that changes at Elimination Chamber. So for for this particular event, I mean, I remember being so hyped up and being a kid new to the product, I thought for sure, like, how the hell is Sean going to overcome Vader? And not only that, we're talking about the Hollywood backlot brawl. You can double down on that with the boiler room brawl. I mean, they were trying some such innovative stuff in 96. It was unbelievable. Okay. So I'm going to go back to what we were discussing before from yep. mind games. I, I, I said, there's one match. If I'm taking a favorite match in 1996 over, over Sean and, and mankind. And that's the boiler room. Yep. brawl. It is my, it is my favorite match of 1996. I, it blew my mind. I didn't, at that age, I'm 15 years old and I'm watching that and I've been watching wrestling my entire life at, that, at this point. I had no idea you could do that. You know what I mean? That you don't think of stuff like that. You don't think that they can wrestle in the basement and then come all the way back up. And I brought, I brought it right into the backyard because this, this is 1996 is the year that I started, uh, uh, sorry, 1995 is the year that I started backyard wrestling. And, and right after SummerSlam, that's what we did. We went and had a basement room brawl. You know what I mean? Like, like it inspired a lot for me. And to this day, the moment where you see the betrayal of one of my favorite managers of all time, it still gives me fucking goosebumps because I didn't see it coming. As a, as a 15-year-old kid, I had no idea that well, we were going to get that. And I think it's safe to end. say this is the feud of the year in 96 for the company, right? 
hands down. These oh, guys tore it sure. down in every pay per view they had. Um, and and they fought how many times on pay per view? This was the, this was their four fourth yeah they four times four times this year on pay per view, and every match was awesome. And yeah, yeah, the heel. I the think heel the, fir- the first one for me was the best personally. King but... of the Ring. Yeah, I agree with that also. Uh, but but the heel turn was great. I didn't see it coming with Paul Bearer. And if you're gonna, obviously, you know, the, it's gonna run its course with the Undertaker and Paul Bearer at some point. And Paul Bearer is such a unique character. What a perfect fit to move him onto Mankind. And and they had the alliance with Goldust. I I just thought it was a brilliant move. Great booking. And, and, and then, then Vader, and then right? Vader, yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. No, but see, yeah. see to 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 your point, Mike. I think exactly what you just said about the, not seeing the turn coming. I don't think that anybody at that time, especially in that framework of WWE or WWF, ever thought that those two would ever break up. Like they were like peanut butter and jelly. It was no. never, ever going to happen. So they subtly teased it throughout the summer with the thing at King of the Ring with the misstep with the urn and stuff like that. But nobody yeah. saw it coming. Especially not in that fashion. You know, not not in such a blatant turn where, you know, when he pulls away the urn like that and just makes him look him in the face so he knows that he's been betrayed. It, it, it was perfect storytelling. 100%. Paul Bearer was such 100%. a great character, and, and he told such great stories. A very underrated manager. Really his, his actions were great. Uh, even when he was running the funeral parlor back in the day, Paul Bearer is somebody that I don't think gets enough uh, talk in the management club. It's my my second favorite manager of all time, second only to Except to, for the time the that he yelled at me and we talked about that. <laughs> Don't, get me, Don't get, get me started. Don't get me started. Fuck over it, man. Uh, couple couple underrated gems on this one too. Owen Hart and Savio Vega. Again, there's that name, right? What a great opening. Just about to say, yeah. Um the one thing I want to kind of talk about and, and I and I'm glad we talked about it in the last point was the Owen and Bulldog winning the tag titles. The tag team scene was really shit in ninety six, man. And if you take a look at the four corner match here, you got the smoking guns against the new rockers, against the Godwins, against the body donnas. Well, it was half the body donnas. Half the body, yeah, because uh, Candido had a broken neck, I believe, right? Yeah, uh, that's right. But but even we're, still, we're not going to talk about Claudia no, again, are we? Unfortunately for you, Mike, we're not going to get into your girlfriend. <laughs> we'll reserve that for you in Greenville. That's a... <laughs> But just just such a a sad state in the tag team scene at this point. Uh, They've already run all these matches into the ground up to this point. So when Owen and Bulldog did win the belt, I believe the next month, uh, what a a fresh fresh breath of air for that tag team division, right? Absolutely. Well, to me, it just just raised the game because you had fresh matchups for every single one of those teams. Because I think if you look at the better part of the year, with the exception of a couple of, you know, enhancement teams or maybe a couple of singles placed into a team together, like a Barry Horowitz and Aldo Mentoya type thing. Yeah. I mean, if you look at if you look at the tag team division, it was just circling around, not even really the Rockers. I don't think the Rockers, this was their only opportunity at the tag titles on pay-per-view that year. So it was basically the Godwins, the Guns, and the Body Donnas going around for, I guess, what, eight months? Yeah, pretty much, right? Um just a yeah, a very stale tag team division, and and you can even argue that you know Vince has never been a fan of the tag team division and in general, right? And it it really shows in '96. I think that might be the weakest point of of all of '96 was the tag team division. 
Yeah, I can't argue with that. And there's not a lot weak about um, 96 to me as a whole. So uh, I, I've got a couple points about this pay-per-view just real quickly. Man, how fun was Sid at this time? Oh, he was over like Rover to coin a phrase. Yeah. He was. And, 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 right. and Bulldog versus Sid was so much better than it had the right to be. I mean, if you watch the match, it was so much better than on paper. Like there are certain guys that you see when you see them on paper together, they, they sound really, really good. Like to me, if I saw Sid and Bulldog on a card, I'd be excited because they're both big stars. Um, but, you know, it had the potential for being a train wreck just based on the guy, the fact that they're both power guys and all that kind of thing. So it was a phenomenal match way over delivered to me. Now for me, this pay-per-view, I don't hold it as highly as both of you guys seem to. It did not make my list. In fact, in general, uh, but for me, a part my favorite part of this pay-per-view, I got to go Jerry Lawler, man. Oh, yeah, Jake the Snake. Jerry Lawler was on fire here. When he said that Jake the Snake's two favorite tag team partners were Jim Beam and Jack Daniels, uh, unbelievable. And and for me, the best part about Jerry Lawler, I, I don't know if you guys are football fans or not. I know Mike is, is not. I don't know what your football knowledge is, Jay. But this pay- when he was wearing the Baltimore Ravens jersey. Yeah, exactly. This pay per view happened in Cleveland, and this was the year that they lost their football team to Baltimore. And he came yeah. out wearing that Baltimore Ravens jersey, and the people. I thought I'm knowing what I know about football now. I am surprised somebody did not punch him in the face. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about football, but I know enough to know that it's like that. It's the it's the oldest trick in the book for wrestling. Uh, you know, going back to one of our uh, or our discussion earlier about the Skydome shows, I remember in 1999 I went to a show, and it was the Acolytes versus Edge and Christian, and the Acolytes came out. There was the opening match, and uh, Bradshaw got on the stick and started uh, tearing apart the Leafs because they had just lost to the Sabers in the semifinals of the Stanley Cup, and the place went just came unglued. So uh, you know, cheap heat with with sports references always works. I agree, man. I agree a hundred percent. Jerry Lawler, though, I, I gotta say, and again, this is fresh. These guys just lost their football team, and I'm glad you mentioned Edge and Christian because they they made a, a career out of the cheap heat, the, the quote unquote cheap heat. Like the five second photos were amazing. Yeah, absolutely, without question. Uh, what else you got for SummerSlam 96? You got anything else that we missed there? Uh, Goldust and Marrow had a good match. I think Marrow debuted a uh, shooting star press for himself on this one. Uh, I, was that, I was waiting to bring that up, yeah. How, how do you guys rate Mark Marrow's 1996? Underwhelming. Yeah, you weren't impressed with it? The wild man? I think that they did. Uh, they tried really, really hard to put get him over, but it just wasn't working. By the time they got to the Intercontinental Finals, when uh, he won the title, I think from Farouk, it was the night after Mind Games. Yeah, and then he got swerved by Hunter. I think at that time the wheels had come off. I think people they just realized that he wasn't going to get to the level they wanted him to. Well, I, I I agree with you on that one. I I think he had a mediocre year. That's where I would put him. Here, here's a question for you both. Let's say they bring him in and as a character a little closer to his Johnny B. Bad gimmick. Johnny B. Bad was super fucking over in WCW. Let's say they bring him, bring him in in something more familiar like that. Do you think 100%. he's more over in I WWE? Think you immediately put him against Goldust, and and you're you're establishing 
a unique feud off the hop. And depending on how they book him from that point, I think you have your face gold dust. Are you talking about the like the exact same time frame, like right after WrestleMania twelve? Yeah. Um, I think it might have had a bigger impact from the beginning, but I think that by the time we got to you know a year later, that the gimmick, the gimmicky kind of characters were gone at yeah. that point. I don't do, do. Do we have a do we have a flash yeah, punk situation so. happening here? I think here? that he might have blasted yeah. off a little bit yeah. more at the beginning, but I don't think I think he would have fizzled out just the same. Yeah, I, I can't argue that point either. I think we fizzled out on SummerSlam. What do you guys think? You want to move on to what are you at number two now? Yeah, I'm at number two. All right, let's hear it. Which is King of the Ring, 1996. I'm really glad you had this one on your list. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, just. We all know about Austin 316, and for that reason alone, it's one of the most pivotal events in the history of wrestling. But, I mean, if you look at the card yeah. itself, you I mean you had Mankind versus uh, Undertaker, you had Goldust versus Ahmed, you had uh, Warrior versus Lawler, and then, of course, you know, Bulldog versus Sean was, I think it went about 40 minutes. It was an incredible match, made up for the, made up for the uh, Beware yeah. a Dog match, for sure. Yeah, they went, they went 20, 26. Was this, was this during the... Uh... Was this during uh, yeah, the rape yeah, angle? Yeah. But you forgot yeah, okay. you, you forgot Mike's favorite point in ninety six. King of the Ring was the debut of Cloudy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um you hit some good points there, Jay. Uh let's talk about Steve Austin first and foremost, because looking back, like you said, this is one of the more historic moments in company history. Gets busted open against Mark Merrow. Uh, blood everywhere, legitimately goes to the hospital, gets stitched up. He's coming out to fight Jake the Snake in the finals, and he happens to walk by Michael Hayes, who looks at him and says, just so you know, Jake cut a religious promo on you. And that's what started it. There was no planned promo. He didn't have anything lined up. Yep. First of all, I I don't know who this Michael Hayes guy is, uh, but Doc Hendricks is working that night. Welcome to the slam, (laughs) And and if you don't... If you don't, if you don't know who Doc Hendricks is, he was Todd Pettengill's right. brother from another mother. <laughs> yeah, I think he actually adopted Todd Pettengill's rat tail at the beginning of 1996. Did you ever hear the story about when they hired him and Vince made him cut his hair on the spot? Oh man, I do remember. Yep. That. You, yeah. You, you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, what he a, wasn't what a happy. Great promo uh, and. They did the same thing to Tom uh, yeah, Pritchard, they, didn't they? They blindsided him when, when he turned into Zip. Can you imagine the motivation? Let's yeah. picture that. <laughs> hey, Tom Pritchard, uh, good run as the Heavenly Bodies. You're going to be Zip, and we want you to cut your hair and dye it blonde. <laughs> Shave your head and dye it blonde for Zip. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. We're, we're going to we're gonna give you a super, super hot valet, but then we're going to take oh, her away God. and give you Poor cloudy. Dr. Tom. And then we're going to change Skip's name to Lock, and you're going to be called Ziplock. <laughs> uh, so anyway, let's get back to King of the Ring here. Um, this is a good pay-per-view, and, and we touched on some of this stuff earlier. For me, the match of the night, Mankind and The Undertaker, hands down. Uh, what a great showing for Mick Foley. I thought the finish was brilliant in this match with Paul Bear accidentally hitting The Undertaker, trying to hit Mick Foley. Um, these guys beat the shit out of each other. Yeah. And again, another example of them 
pushing the envelope in 96. I mean, it was a very, very physical match for the time period. I, I think this was the match that, that opened up um, the eyes of the company to Mick Foley and, and what he was capable to do for them. I, I wouldn't argue that, no. And then again, like we talked about with uh, SummerSlam, Jerry Lawler, man, ripping the crowd apart on his entrance. Absolutely hysterical. Was it this King of the Ring or the, the 97 one where he was looking at a woman and said, I thought the massage parlors were closed I tonight? think it was this one. What Off the <laughs> yeah. top of your head, do you guys have a favorite Jerry Lawler joke? Oh, boy. Kind of like his girlfriend. I got one that I really like. Uh, he, he was interviewing this married couple. I think they were celebrating their 20th anniversary or something. And he goes, how long have you guys been married for? And the guy goes, 20 years. And he goes, you know that if you would have murdered her the night of your wedding, you'd be out today. <laughs> Which I, <laughs> funny little one-liner there. Like, um, oh, my God. Uh, something else that was... I I used to love his jokes. Uh, I used to love his jokes about the oh, uh, about Bret Hart's parents. All, all the stabs you would take at Dust Dewey Yeah, Helen like Stewart Helen went laugh. to an antique store and they tried to keep them. <laughs> oh, man. Jerry Lawler, he had some gold. Uh, you know, he doesn't, like you said, Mike, some of the stuff doesn't age well, but he he is the king of the dad jokes right now, right? Yeah, his kind of humor just gets me every time. Yeah. When I hear him on commentary sometimes, some of the things he says, I just, I just this really laugh out loud. Well, speaking of commentary, let's talk about the hero of the pay-per-view, Owen Hart. Commentary the whole night. Oh, yeah, I forgot about he that. He was great. Every every baby face cheated the whole night, according to Owen Hart. It was awesome. Uh, he, he was definitely my MVP of the pay-per-view. A um, couple points I have from it, Jay, just, be, uh, I, just before I, I hear a little more from you, let's talk about the boring tag team division again. Smoking guns against the Godwins, uh, you know? whatever. Uh, but we also got the crowning of Ahmed Johnson winning the Intercontinental Championship on this pay-per-view. Yep. And, I mean, at that time, Ahmed was the heir apparent. I mean, he was positioned to be uh, really the number two in the company under Sean. Yeah. Um, if he hadn't had that that injury with his kidney with uh, Ron Simmons, who knows where he would have gone. I think that that derailed a lot of his momentum. I mean, we all know that he wasn't necessarily the safest guy in the ring, but uh, if he hadn't had that injury, he could, he may very well have been, he might've won the rumble in 97. Who knows? Possibility, but Ron Simmons came in and let him know who the real big, big dog was. Exactly. Um, Mike, what do you think about the angle setting up this match with gold dust, giving him the mouth to mouth? Mike. All right. We'll just carry on, Jay. Jay, what do you think about the, uh, what do you think about the um, angles setting up there with the mouth to mouth? I just remember being so like put off by it at the time. Remember, I was you know a twelve year old kid, and it had just I had just started watching. So for me, it was like shocking television at the time. And and also on top of that, I remember then when Ahmed came too, and he went and he just started tearing apart people in the back of the the arena he was ripping through locker rooms and he grabbed that one guy and he picked him up by the throat off his legs mm-hmm. off his feet and he was asking him where Goldust was it was just 
it added so much drama to the feud for me. Absolutely. And and something else too that that this paper you gets forgotten about and we touched on a little bit earlier. This was supposed to be Hunter Hearst Helmsley's night, right? Yeah, absolutely it was. But it worked out the right way, I think. It was I don't even think Hunter was on this card. No, was he? he was he fought in a free for all match against Aldo Montoya. He beat him in three minutes. How the mighty have absolutely. fallen. Absolutely. And and that's you know, he was the fall guy for the curtain call, right? He absolutely he was. was the guy that you can't fire you can't fire Sean he's the champ we got the rocket strapped to him um, we can't fire Hall and Nash because they're gone so guess what Hunter cool. we're taking it all out on you and and, and yeah, exactly. he sucked it up and one year later he did get his crown but uh, could you imagine if if Austin three sixteen never happened it would have changed the course of the entire industry. Well, I think it would have happened eventually in a different way. I mean, that, that amount of talent, and that amount of charisma, it's not going to, it's that saying that the cream rises to the top, right? But uh, I mean, it was of its time. And that was the beauty of it is, is that it was sort of like an accidental coronation in a lot of ways. But I think if you had done it the other way and say had Hunter win that year and then Steve win the following year, I just think that it wouldn't have had the impact that it had. I no, it was a slow burn with Austin. It was a slow burn with his ascent to the top, and it started right around this time. Well, and like we like we talked about before, they didn't strap a rocket to Austin after he cut that promo. You know, it took time. It, it took until about November, December, January before he really got going. Yeah, exactly. So, so his momentum was building from this point, and I really I think that it started probably at that Caribbean strap match where he lost Ted DiBiase. I think that's when it sort of started. And then he started running through people at the King of the Ring tournament, both on Raw and Superstars leading up to it. And then when this happened, that was like the blasting point for him. Mike, what do you think, what do you think the launch point of Steve Austin is? you think it's the Bret Hart feud? Do you think that's really where, where he started to get the notice? The major notice, yeah, is, uh, is the work he was doing with... Uh, with yeah. Pillman, the, the interviews he was doing with Pillman, the whole Pillmanization angle, uh, you know, the lead up to his his first match with uh, with Brett so, was I really getting eyes on him. Uh, difficult for you there, Mike. I, I just asked you um, really quickly your thoughts on the Ahmed Johnson Goldust angle because I know you're a big Goldust fan. Were you jealous? <laughs> were you jealous that you were not Ahmed? <laughs> Uh, the, the, I, I wanted to be gold dust. You know what? Um, I remember, you know, looking at it now, watching it now as a fucking close to forty year old man. I find it humor. I, I, I find it humorous. I think it's a good angle. I really like it. it it's great. As a 15-year-old kid living in a town with no gay people, no black people, no, only white homophobic racist people, you, this is, I was raised to believe that, you know, that was fucked up. So looking at it now as an evolved human being, it's fucking great. I wish I, I had those eyes at the age of 15. That's the gimmick of 96, right? Yeah, oh, we already covered uh, well, Too many mankind. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't say best just theme a, song quick, of 1996. Quick, uh, uh, sidebar here: Does anybody remember Salvatore Sincere? Absolutely. 
So I remember Salvatore Sincere yeah. versus The Undertaker on Raw. <laughs> and I remember this moment where Sal Sincere put his fingers into The Undertaker's nostrils and ate his snot. Does anybody remember I this? I don't remember that spot. I do yeah, not remember that. Don't go back and watch that. it. it was no. That, that That's seems out of gimmick for Sal Sincere. He might have been sincerely hungry. No kidding. Is that, mm. Now, is that a gimmick yeah. in print? I guess fashion so. Booker? <laughs> no, I don't think so. You guys got anything else you want to add on King of the Ring 96? Nope. I, I think I'm buttoning that one. All right. I don't think so. So, no. Jay, before you give us our number, mm. your number one, I'm going to quickly run down my top seven list, and I will use the word quickly. I'm not going to say my number one because I want to see if we have the same one. Uh, so for me, I went for my number seven. I went Survivor Series 95. Uh, okay, yeah, that's I, my, that's I, my I one and only honorable cool mention. And, and uh, okay. you know, the, the wild card match was whatever. Bretton Diesel was awesome. Uh, I didn't like the idea of the wild card match, but I, I thought the execution was really good. Um, Aja Kong ran wild on that pay-per-view. And I don't know if you guys know this or not, but there is a really yeah. cool dark match on this pay-per-view. And it was the Smoking Guns against Public Enemy. And Public, No, I didn't know Public that. Enemy was one month removed from being the ECW World Tag Team Champion. So I thought that was kind of a cool little bonus. Was that before they went to WCW? Yeah, this was before they went to WCW. Uh, they, I guess, like right in between. Yeah. Uh, I, I went my number six. I went with In Your House Buried Alive. Uh, I just thought there was a lot of cool matches on this one. I thought... This is the first pay-per-view meeting between cool Steve Austin and yeah. Triple H, which is kind of cool. Uh, the Buried Alive match was uh, a very well done. Owen and Bulldog instantly make the uh, tag championship scene better, so I really enjoyed that. My number five, I went with WrestleMania 12, which we talked about. My number four, I went with King of the Ring 96, which I talked about. For my number three, I went with something that you mentioned in passing, Jay. I went with In Your House 5, Brett against the Bulldog. Um, I thought this pay-per-view was cool. They had a lot of gimmick matches that worked. They had a lot of blow-off matches. It, it kind of reset the schedule and got them ready for the 96 season. You had the casket match with The Undertaker and Mabel. You had the hogpin match with Triple H and uh, Henry Godwin. Uh, Bret Hart and the Bulldog tore the house down. I, I thought this was a really, really can, strong pay per view. Can we take a sec? Can uh, we take a second here? Yeah, Mike? I was hoping. I was waiting. I didn't want to bring it up. I was waiting to see if somebody was going to bring up this show, uh, this match, the Hog Pen match. Am I the only one who fucking loves this match? I, and, and I'm not being ironic. I'm not being uh, stupid. I, didn't hate it. I, I, I swear, I I love this match. And I think 25 years later, the fact that you know they just did this whole special on Triple H, they didn't talk about that match at all. And, and I was surprised that they didn't talk about that match because I thought I would love to hear what Triple H has to say about this match. I thought it was great. Yeah. It was a fun gimmick match for sure. The livestock definitely helped. This is the event where Owen took all the livestock and put them <laughs> yeah. in his office too, right? Yeah. That's exactly right. That's yeah. amazing. And about the main event as well. Uh, I mean, I think there's an argument. I don't know if it's a winning argument, but there's an argument to be made that this match is better than Wembley. Uh, there is an argument to be made there 100%. Um, it, 
yeah. So the the blood adds to it's it. It's in my honorable mentions as yeah, well. Yeah, the blood adds to it. Um, Brett takes some insane bumps in this match. Diana Hart, I thought she was featured a little bit too much in this match. but She, but, she but was featured too was much really in 1996. Well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, and something else I really liked about this match as well was uh, Owen against Diesel. Uh, Diesel's coming fresh off losing the belt, and he just powerbombed the shit out of Owen. He was dead. Owen Hart was dead. You know what I mean? They, well, th- this was him avenging Sean for the kick, That's right? That's it, right? So I, I, I yeah. thought it was really cool. Um, they, they made Diesel look like a badass, set him up for uh, a title match in February against Brett. They made Brett look good. Uh, the hogpin match, the casket match. Uh, I, I just thought this was a well-booked pay-per-view. Uh, and then my number two was WrestleMania 10. Uh, Mike, do you have any honorable mentions? Anything no, you between mention the two right of you, uh, all the matches that I are all the, the shows that I was gonna say I'd uh, written down have been talked about. I did want to talk about the Survivor Series 95, so I'm glad you brought that up. Um, other than that, you guys had hit every show I wanted to talk about today, which which means you oh, I had I had one more I wanted oh, to okay. quickly hit an honorable mention is uh. Yeah. Royal Rumble 96. Yeah, good card. Uh, uh, great card, but also historical because it was the first Rumble to ever yes. feature entrance now, music. Now, I'm going to tell you, now Now yeah. I'm, I'm confused because the fact that you never brought that up already, I was already assuming that was your number one. Uh, quickly, before you even move on from Rumble 96, your number one, take a look at some of the names in this Royal Rumble match. Dory Funk Jr., uh, Doug Gilbert, very weird. Jerry Lawler hit under the Richard ring during the full rumble. You got all the Montoya in there. I'm cool with that. Steve Austin, he was supposed to be in the final four and he fell off. And I don't know if you've heard him tell that story. Shawn Michaels kind of looked at him and be like, what the fuck are you doing out there? As he's walking to the back. Uh, the return of Jake Roberts, the debut of Vader. Uh, you had an IC title change with Goldust beating Razor Ramon. You know what I That's mean? That's why I wouldn't have been review. surprised if it was Jay's number one. It was. Now I have no idea what the fuck Jay's number one could possibly be. Uh, before we get to number one, uh, something we do have to comment on is SummerSlam 94, that cage match, Brett Nolan. Unless that is your number one, Jay, if I might have spoiled it. Nope. Uh, that cage match between Brett Nolan at SummerSlam 94 yep. has got to be talked about. Uh, great cap off. I think that I think the best the best thing I've heard about that is Brett himself talking about how him and Owen crafted this cage match that wasn't a bloody massacre yeah and that was the beauty of the match and then even the follow-up after the cage match unless if survivor series 94 is your number one then this podcast is over immediately um owen hart with the throwing in the yeah, towel yeah. spot yeah right? just genius stuff. we, we can do stuff an there. entire show um, about that story because you you want to yeah and you know, you know jay J- 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 brought up earlier uh, you know how they don't do long drawn out stories anymore that is the perfect example of a perfectly told story that they didn't fucking rush because they started that story at what survivor series 93 you know what i mean Absolutely. and they didn't even yeah. the, the two yeah. didn't even get in the ring until march of 94 Absolutely. And they did those little things, you know, like uh, uh, they'd get like Helen Hart to talk about mm-hmm. how upset she was that the boys were fighting over Christmas time. Like uh, just stuff like that was really cool. 
And they were even still rivals until, until yeah. uh, what, March of 97. Yeah, until Brett, they cut that. So, You're my brother. I love you. Kind of one break. Exactly. Wow, great moment. I want to I want to get deep into the 1997 year we'll get uh, at some point as well. Jay, I think you and I have a unanimous number one. Let me hear what your number one is. My number one is Survivor Series 1996. You and I have a unanimous number one. Yeah. Uh, I I can't say enough about this pay-per-view. Uh, to me, if you're looking for an exact moment or to pinpoint an event that the Attitudes era started, it was this event for me. Uh, if you look at the main event between Sean and Sid and the heart attack angle, if you look at the unprotected chair shots that uh, guys were taking in the, uh, the eight-man tag with Vader and Snuka, if you look at the heat between Brett and Austin with the middle fingers and, and things of that nature, just coming off of the, uh, the Brian Pillman nine one one angle. Uh, if you look at Sonny on commentary, commenting on Sable's breast implants, this to me was the blasting point for the attitude era without question. Well, and if you take a look at a lot of the people that debuted on this pay-per-view as well, uh, you know, obviously mm-hmm. we're going to talk about this in a little bit, the debut of the rock. Um, you also had the birth of the nation of domination. Um, you had uh, Flash Funk make a debut on this one. Doug Furness and Philip Lafont. Uh, yeah, they, they really rolled a lot out on this pay per view. Yeah, it's maybe I think it's in my top five favorite events ever. Mike, I know you you were stumped on what our number one would be. Give me your memories. Hey, unfortunately, I think I have to go back and rewatch it. I think it's been thirty years since I've seen it. You know what I mean? Um, I've never, yeah, I, I think I have to go back. I do have, you know, as you guys are talking about these matches, I have vague memories, especially of the Sean Sid match. Um, I can sort of remember the Mankind uh, Undertaker match. Uh, this was the, the birth of the new Undertaker when he came right, out the right. leather and he came down from the ceiling yeah, with the um, bat wings, right? That's right. Paul Bear was in the cage, yeah. Also, you got the, the debut of the Executioner. No, that was... Yeah. That was buried alive. No, that, that was, was buried yeah, alive. Was buried Sorry. Alive. Sorry. That's oh, right. But the executioner did come Bam out Bam. And, and, <laughs> yeah. He was, was in rough shape yeah. at this point. We also got an appearance by uh, Barry Windham oh. in the, on this. Card. Jay, you took. I, I swear to God, I was just about to say the exact same thing. Anytime that you get Barry Windham on I, the card, I'm a happy man. Oh, yeah. I was just about to ask, was he the stalker? Yeah, and that was that was before he got lazy and stopped doing the face paint. He was still doing the face paint. Did he come time, out? I'm pretty sure he came out no pain in this one. I think this one he stopped no, giving a shit. Actually, was, you know he wearing, what I, was he wearing a right, WWF actually, shirt he, he stole from the fucking merch station before walking out? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely he, was. he did. Absolutely he did. And he was wearing those he was wearing the uh, the uh, camel pants as well. Something else about this pay-per-view you got to talk about. Vader gets the King Kong Bundy treatment on this pay-per-view, man. He went from main eventing with Shawn Michaels, and then two months later, he's in a match teaming up with Farouk debuting the Nation gimmick and Fake Razor and Fake Diesel. And he's teaming up against uh, Flash Funk, Savio Vega, Yokozuna, making his last appearance, I believe, on television. And uh, a great moment for Jimmy Snuka coming out from the garden. Yeah. But, but... And that was the match I was alluding to with the unprotected chair shots. I mean, I think Snuka was hitting uh, both Fake Razor or... I think at least fake diesel he was hitting with chair shots in the head. I think twice he did. 
and it was ruthless. Um, for me, when we talked about matches of the year, Brett Austin might be my match of the year in 96. It's my number one. I, I think so. The Survivor Series match is it's legendary, and if you haven't watched it, and I'm going to try to find it to make it my match of the day on our Facebook page at some point. These guys put on. And again, clinic. I need to go back to it because I think my, it's it's very overshadowed by their WrestleMania 13 match, right? Yeah, a hundred percent it is, and and the the differences between those two matches. This is a wrestling masterpiece. This was Steve Austin yeah. with a chip on his shoulder, trying to prove that he can. And again, one of my one of my favorite. Yep. If we're if we're going to talk about favorite stories of 1996, it's probably my third favorite story of 1996 is Bret Nelson. Yeah. Bret Nelson. Bret Hart. Bret yeah. Hart cut such a great promo that really puts over Madison Square Garden. Before this uh, match, he looks dead in the camera and he goes, "We're in Madison Square Garden. This isn't a church, yeah. but it's holy ground." And I just that that's so powerful. Brad Brad Hart's the man. Yep. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And as far as the main event goes, I mean this this main event with Sid is arguably my favorite match of Sean's in '96. Uh, certainly, Sean or Sid's best match ever for me. Uh, it was had so much heat, especially because Sid came out to a babyface reaction, where Sean was almost booed out of the building. Uh, and it was such a well-crafted match. I really, really enjoyed this match tremendously. I can't argue much about that either. Uh, this, is my, this is not my favorite Shawn Michaels match of the year. Him and Diesel, a good friend's better enemy for me, is my second favorite match of the year, I think. Um, I just thought that that was a match Shawn Michaels needed at the time, give him a little bit of a badass push. Um, Mike, what do you think about Shawn Michaels towards the end of 96? I mean, Shawn... His his attitude and, you know, his backstage politics notwithstanding, the man never fucking let up. He didn't have bad matches. A shitty Shawn Michaels match was still pro- probably the best match on Better the fucking the card. I, I mean, I mean, I mean well, he, he goes down as, as one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time for a fucking reason. You know what I mean? Like, like, like you think? I will all. I will always say that his the second half of his career when he returned from 2002 on, that that was the best Shawn Michaels ever was. But this was leading up to it. This was why he was able to be that good because of what he was building right now in 1996. How do you think he reacts? He's got Bret Hart breathing down his neck now because this has been the year mm-hmm. of Sean up until this point. Sean's been running the show. Bret Hart's back. Has the match of the night against Austin. How do you think like Sean's a Like a right fucking now? six-year-old child who had his favorite toy taken away. Yeah. And this, to me, is where, and, and Jay kind of mentioned this earlier as well, this is where you get those vibes on the And, and, and by the way, that favorite uh, toy he, I, uh, that I alluded to, he bought from Herb Abrams. <laughs> Good throwback. Wait, wait a minute. Herb Abrams oh, owns Sunny. Oh, oh boy. Um, oh boy, there's some sunny, sunny days dude. coming for you, Brett. Unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. Um, before we wrap up on '96 Survivor Series, so you got to talk about The Rock. Do we need to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, clinic. Yeah, he he turned out to be okay. Eh? He, he got, he got, yeah, you know what I love? <laughs> you come out, you come out looking you know like I a love, fucking though? pineapple and you still turn it into a fucking career. Good for him. 
You know what I loved? And he was over when when he came out and JR's like, there's the blue chipper right there. I thought he gave him instant credit. And I thought the opposite. I thought the opposite right away. I'm like, no, they're already, they're like in within, before he even got to the fucking ring, they were shoving him down our throats. They wanted us to love him too much. People are going to revolt and they did. See, I don't see. I I actually agree with with Tyler. Uh, if it had been Vince that said that, I think you would have got the reaction. But Jr. saying it, I think, gives it more credibility. I agree with. That. I think at this time, Jr. was like um, Corey Graves NXT days. Corey Graves when he was in NXT had a lot of credibility. Uh, Jim Ross is a man that definitely carries a lot of credibility. Um, I didn't feel that they pushed the Rock down my throat. I just thought that his gimmick sucked and maybe that was the problem and you know remember this is 1996 where we've already we've already systematically pushed Hulk Hogan the greatest white meat baby face of all time away from us we didn't want him anymore we pushed him away now we're booing Shawn Michaels you know what I mean so we're and, and we're getting ready to cheer for the bad guy in, 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 in Stone Cold Steve Austin. So I think the timing, if, if, if Rocky comes out a year earlier, he works. Yeah, but you know what? Oh, good everything worked out perfectly because, because the heat that, that, that the crowd gave, gave Rocky, Rocky took and made it into fucking gold. If the die Rocky die chant doesn't happen, we don't get one of the greatest promos of 1997 with with him joining the, the nation. You know what I mean? I can't argue, man. I can't argue it. So, gentlemen, we have just taken a deep dive into the new generation era. Is there any final points, any bows we want to put on the new generation before we move on? Uh, I think just for me, one last thing is unsung hero is oh. Vince's commentary. I love it. I think Vince I, was an incredible well, I'm so happy you Especially said that. People make fun of me because uh, right below uh, Brain and uh, and Monsoon, I put Lawler and Vince as my favorite commentary team. What's your guys' favorite Vince's? Boom shakalaka! Um, I would probably say back body oh, rock or... Uh, one, the, the, two, the, the, he the got a fucking One, two, no. No, he got no. Yeah. That's that's my favorite one for sure. The Vince Stalls finish. It could be like a headlock takeover. It's like, one, no, two, he no, got a, you, no, no, you have to fit in as well. What a maneuver. Because I'm surprised he even knew what a back body drop was. Everything was a fucking maneuver to him. You know, it was great. I think I loved as well. If you guys remember playing WrestleMania, the arcade game, he used to say in the commentary yes. in that WrestleMania, game, the arcade game is one of my favorites of all time, which is where I got the boom shakalaka line. He says it every, every time you hit a big fucking move. I love that's it. That's right. Yes. <laughs> if you guys want to hear Vince McMahon at his unintentional best, watch the women's survivor series match from 1995. When he doesn't have a fucking clue who anybody but a Lunder Blaze is in that match, because they bring it's all it's all the Japanese women, right? No, I I'd like to watch that yeah. view over again, but with him uh, commentating with the dude from fucking um, I'm blanking on the dude's name, Art Donovan. Art, Art oh. Donovan. 
How much does this guy weigh? How big a, how big a woman is that, Gorilla? Oh, man, that would be great. I, I have... I have the names in front of me right now of, of these women in this match. And if you guys listen to the Japanese, top Japanese wrestlers list, you know I can't pronounce any of them. Vince didn't know who any of them were. Yeah, it's, yeah. Another, it's not just that <laughs> he can't amazing. pronounce it. He's never heard of them. He didn't have a clue yeah. who any of these women were. Poor JR had to have his work <laughs> boots on for that one. It, it is very, very <laughs> funny. That's the Vince. I think that... That's the one time where yeah. pronouns pal wasn't a thing. I, and I know I know you just mentioned Art Donovan and, and last week Mike I challenged you to watch OSW reviews, which I, I, I know you still have watched. Watch yeah, I'm gonna get to numerous. it. Jay, have you ever watched OSW reviews? I'm no. Gonna, I don't even I'm know what it send is. I'll send you a link, my friend. Uh, especially during this quarantine time. And maybe I'll make one of their episodes my match of the day for um, for for our our Facebook page or for sorry for our, our yeah for our Facebook page, OSW reviews is the greatest review site of all time. I have to play it for you guys. I will definitely check it out if you send. I will send you the link. Speaking of links, Jay, hit us up with your Twitter one more time. At Jayahola eighty three, you can hit me up if you want to see some uh, witty repartee about weekly wrestling. Well, not so much weekly now because. I'm not really watching the uh, weekly product anymore, but uh, I do watch frequently network classic stuff, and I will uh, and have anecdotes here and there on there regarding that. So, Mike, it is your turn to get a list next week. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, we we, we skipped me to, to to bring on our guest, so I, I guess it is my turn. That's, well, no, because you gave me the last list. Yeah, you gave that's me the I mean. Music, yeah. right? We skipped. Yeah, yeah exactly. So right. So. So it's Money in the Bank season, and I don't, you know, we could talk about the greatest Money in the Bank matches, we could talk about the greatest Money in the Bank briefcase holders, but instead we're going to talk about the greatest money man in the history of the promotion. You're going to tell me your top seven million dollar man moments of all time. Could be a match, could you, be a you said, you said the greatest money man, I thought you were giving me a Herb's Abram, a Herb Abrams look. <laughs> and all right, sorry about the technical difficulties there, Mike. Like we were saying, we're going to do be talking about our, our our your list for next week. Um, we just had a little bit of a blurb there. Jay's back as well. So, Mike, your list next week, we're going to be talking about the, the best money man in the business that's not Herb Abrams, like you had said. <laughs> it's going to be the top seven moments of the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Okay, so, so, so let's, let's break this down. I'm doing moments, not necessarily matches. Yeah, you can throw a match in there. You can throw some of his promos. Okay, that, that makes it so much more easier. However, okay. it has to be the Million Dollar Man. It cannot oh, be. Right. It cannot be anything other than Million Dollar Man. Okay. All right. All right. That's Jay, Jay, my friend, thank you yep. very much for joining us. If you guys have not checked out Dark Side of the Ring, go out of your way to check it out. Uh, Jay, you did a great job on the show. Third highest rated uh, viewing of that show, uh, and it's airing, and I'm 100% confident it's only because you were on it. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me on, and uh, it was a real honor to be with you guys tonight, and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime down the road. So, so I'm going to ask a favor of both of you guys right now. Mike, you always bring us home, and I want you to hit your – I want you to bring us home. Jay, before Mike brings us home, can you give me a very low-key – 
Um, Howard Finkel, thank you for joining us. Uh, house show era. <laughs> sure. The superstars and athletes this evening, thank you very much. Oh, we, yeah, we're definitely having you back on the show, man. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, just like Tyler said, thank you very much. So on behalf of Counted Out, on behalf of uh, our good friend, Jay, uh, we have been Counted Out. Cheers. <laughs>